Good evening and welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC 263 Adesanya versus Vittori 2. I am your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me as usual is uh, Keith Schillen. Keith is the executive producer of the Loudmouth MMA Podcast Network as well as the SureDog Radio Network, where he is the creator of numerous shows, including the, I understand, recently retired MMA Past, Present, and Future, and of course the Schillen and Duffy Show, where he will take the captain's chair for the recaps. Keith, welcome to the show. How are you doing? And uh, let me be the first to find out what is coming in place of MMA uh, past, present, and future. Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me, man. How you doing, brother? I'm doing really well. Uh, I- I'm glad to be breaking down a fantastic card. So I-, I wanted to retire MMA past, present, and future simply because nothing retires early in MMA. So, you know, <laughs> let-, let it go out on top. Uh, but no, basically, um, it just came down to a, a – I'm trying to think what the word I'm looking for. Just – it's tough to get three things and waiting on one guy to fit this one in. And, and I said, you know what? Some some guys I want to go deeper in, some I don't. Uh, not get not to be held down with a set structure. Right? Okay, I got to get a prospect now. So what I did do is I'm actually kicking off two shows, and they're both kind of spinoffs of MMA Past, Present, and Future. So if you like that show, I think you'll like the concept. The first show. Is I'm calling it MMA Legacy, so it's going to be very similar to the you know the past part of MMA Past, Present, Future, and I'm just digging in with. with uh, sorry, as my dog barks, I apologize. This is what we do when we go live. Um, it, as the first show I kick off, I did a Horry and Gracie. I went like an hour. We talk about the the growing up of Gracie and and why did Hickson not fight Randy Couture and Sakuraba and and we got into the, how UFC started and what he's doing now and, and you know all these really deep. So it's definitely a niche show. Like, not everyone's going to like it. But if you're into history, that's what that's going to be. But the other show that I did that I make, I might be even more excited about is, you know when fighter, you know when someone's asking questions on fighter and they go, I don't mean to get too personal. Well, this show is called Getting Too Personal. And it's simply like, I'm going to talk to you and we're going to, nothing's off topic. So the first, and, that, and it's also not going to be, these shows aren't going to be set like, okay, every week. It's basically when I have a guest that I'm interested in and doing it with, that's what I'm going to do with. So this, the, the first week I did Kayla Harrison, and we hit every topic. We didn't, we talked about MMA for about three minutes, and then we just talked about our life. The, the, obviously the trial with her coach who was sexually assaulting her for eight years. We talked about the depression after the Olympics. We talked about her being a mom now and, and adopting her niece and nephew. And it was, it was I, honestly, it was really incredible. I just incredible talking to someone like that. And I got that idea from the Jens Pulver interview I did, where I, I was going to do an interview with Jens Pulver. I was going to do your, you know, your usual, you know, which fighter did you wish you fought that you never did, and you know all these gen- questions. And I asked him how he's doing. And he just wants to talk about his dad, and we just rolled with that. And I feel very comfortable in a setting like that, based on my my background uh, for work. I get very personal with people, and I just would be a different show than than anything that's out there. So, and I mean, allow me to just say to anyone listening, obviously you would expect me to be a booster for something coming out on Sure Dog Radio since I work for Sure Dog, but. If you've not listened to at least the past segments of Keith's past, present, and future uh, series, I, I mean, I'm an old school fan. I was a fan for a long, long time before I worked in this space. And even fighters that I thought I knew all about, 
uh, Keith has been able to draw out in a way that that frankly surprised me. I, I d- did not expect to learn anything new about Sean Shirk in, in 2021. You know, we're talking about yeah. a guy who hadn't fought Ooh. in a decade and, you know, gave plenty of interviews during his time. I mean, I remember hearing him on the Sure Dog Radio Network. Uh, and obviously Pulver was just an unbelievable. You know, like that guy has had his heart on his sleeve for He's 20 incredible. years and was very open about, you know, the kind of tragedy that informed his upbringing. So for Keith to get new stuff out of these people on those topics, I consider those must-watch interviews. And again, it's what you would expect me to say sitting in this chair, but uh, give him a try and definitely, you know, give a listen to these new series. Uh, he's going to be Keith the interrogator chilling. <laughs> I mean, that sounds less friendly than the interviews actually yeah. are, but, but uh, he's good at, at getting uh, new truths and new looks out of people. So uh, very good stuff. Well, that's enough about us. Let's talk about UFC 263. In keeping with the UFC's, uh, I feel as though their new pattern, their new normal since coming back from COVID, you know, last May, is that every pay-per-view was loaded. Not everyone has multiple uh, title fights on it. Obviously, there just aren't enough titles to, to do that. But this one does have multiple title fights, and it has a bit of everything. It has one of the most recognizable names to the casual fan in all of MMA in Nate Diaz. It has highly relevant fights pretty much all the way down the card. I mean, there are fights on the undercard here that aren't too far from being title eliminators. I, here's, here's just a, a throw out a question for you. Outside of the main card, and currently the main card is listed as just the top five fights, so Paul Craig versus Jamal Hill on up. Which fight are you looking most uh, forward to? Um, that's a great question because there's, there's a right and wrong answer to this, by the way. So let's see what you um, got. Well, I, I'm going to go with Brian Riddell and Drew Dober. That that fight is – I'll throw it out there already. That's going to be my fight of the night pick. It's just a fantastic matchup between two of the best strikers in, in the UFC, two guys in the best weight class in the UFC. Uh, that one – but. I mean, there's there's some other ones out there, you know. Uh, Duwadu versus Evelev is a fight that I'm really interested in. I'm interested in the Calderwood in Lauren Murphy fight because of the title implications on it. The winner of that one's probably getting a title shot. You, uh, you could argue that both of these women might have deserved title shots without having to fight each other. Yeah, absolutely. And and then you know what? Anders and Stewart was turned into a pretty good scrap the last time we saw it. So maybe maybe that's another one I, I'm interested in. Hey, and. Anders versus Stewart kind of leads into the theme of UFC 263 because UFC 263 is night of the rematches. Obviously, we have uh, rematches in the main and co-main events, uh, both title fights. I'm sure that's a first in UFC history. Uh, sure Dogs Jay Petri will, will let me know if I'm wrong about that. Uh, one of them is literally a title rematch. The other is a rematch of a fight four years ago, early in both men's uh, careers. And then, of course, there's Anders and Stewart running it back uh, after their first fight just a few months ago ended in a disappointing uh, no no contest. Uh, unless you've got anything else in, in terms of general thoughts on this card, uh, we got 14 fights to cover. So uh, want to dive right in? Yeah, let's do it. First up at UFC 263, the UFC is getting the obligatory heavyweight slobber knocker out of the way right off the bat as the only heavyweight fight on the card is the first one up. It is Carlos Felipe versus Jake Collier. Uh, 
Felipe, the 26-year-old Brazilian, is 10-1 and overall. He's 2-1 and uh, since joining the UFC uh, back in 2020 after a bit of a layoff. He most recently fought in January, knocking out, or sorry, taking a split decision over Justin Taffa at UFC on ABC1. Prior to that, he took a unanimous decision over Jorgen De Castro at UFC on ESPN, Holm versus Aldana. And in his UFC uh, debut, he lost a majority decision to Sergey Spivak. That would have been last July. He takes on Collier. Collier, the uh, 32-year-old Missourian, is 12 and five overall. He is three and four in the UFC. However, that covers the gamut from middleweight to light heavyweight to heavyweight. Since coming back last July at heavyweight, he is one and one. He got knocked out in just 45 seconds by Tom Aspinall last July, came back in December, and took a unanimous decision over John Volante. Odds on this one do slightly favor the Brazilian. He is minus 170, where you can get uh, Collier at plus 150 as the slight underdog. I think I jumped to conclusions prematurely about Jake Collier. He, I mean, he came back after, I think it was, close to three years off, he was literally 60 pounds heavier. I mean, because he had been a shredded uh, middleweight. He had been a very, like, muscular, light heavyweight. And he came back just weighing 264 pounds and just looking like he just literally put on 60 pounds of fat. I'm I'm not trying to make fun of him, although I might have a little at the time. And then when he got blasted by Tom Aspinall, I was like, okay, this is a joke. He's going to lose three straight, get dropped by the UFC, and go back to whatever buffet he was living at for the last three years. I was premature. One, it turns out that Tom Aspinall is really, really good at fighting. And he's probably going to do that to a few more people before it's all said and done. Second, I mean, Jake Collier doesn't look bad at heavyweight. He, I mean, his body composition is different, but his gas tank is, well, his gas tank is good enough to beat John Volante. He's still a quick guy. He's still, uh, he's still kind of light on his feet for just a literally just a blown up light heavyweight. Unfortunately, all I know about him right now is that he's worse than Tom Aspinall and better than John Volante and all but about 15 heavyweights in the world fall into that range. So this is actually a really good matchup. You know, you and I always kind of make fun of the obligatory unranked heavyweight fight that gets thrown on every card. This one's pretty good because while I've under I've underrated Collier as a heavyweight, I think collectively we might have overrated Carlos Felipe a little bit as a prospect. Just anytime someone comes up, he's in his twenties, like he's not thirty-five like the average UFC heavyweight, and he's a real live big dude. You know, just has an actual heavyweight body. I think we just hope for them to be the next big thing. I don't know if that's the case. I mean. He had a good fight with Sergey Spivak. Turns out Sergey Spivak is a good heavyweight. He's a fringe contender. I don't know what to take out of him beating Jorgen De Castro and Justin Taffa. They're just not two of the better heavyweights. I mean, Jorgen De Castro's gone from the UFC. Justin Taffa is he's constantly towing that line uh, pretty much every time out. My concern with uh, Felipe is his gas tank. Like, it takes a lot to have a bad gas tank in comparison to other heavyweights. He does. Collier, like I said, despite the fact that he does, doesn't look like he used to, 
still has pretty good gas. Based on that alone, despite the fact that Felipe is the favorite, I'm going to go with Collier here. I, I don't think Felipe is going to come out and blitz Collier in 45 seconds like Tom Aspinall did. So, I mean, I, I think Felipe basically has a round and a half to get it done. I'm not picking him to do that. So give me Jake Collier by decision. I love your enthusiasm. Like you're, if, if you're excited for this fight, you're definitely excited for, for this entire card. Um, we do rag on the unranked heavyweights. I'm just happy that the UFC is making this fight be first and not on the main card. Because somehow the UFC loves putting random unranked heavyweight matchup ahead of ranked fighters. And then, you know, not necessarily on pay-per-view nights, but a lot of times on fight nights, suddenly mm-hmm. like third from the top is two unranked heavyweights. And, and then... It backfired because it's Santiago. a lousy fight, too. Yeah. It turns into Santiago a lousy Ponsonibio fight. is underneath it. But yeah. uh, it, it's funny because you're really excited for this matchup. And so am I. Like, I actually like this fight, too. Um, <laughs> I, I think I'm a little higher on, on Carlos Felipe than you are. Uh, I'm actually higher on both these guys. Yeah, both these guys are, when I think of, like, like fat, like, Tubby, they're not, you know, they're not your Alistair Overeem ripped up heavyweights or, or your Andre Lowski, you know, in shape heavyweights or, or what, sorry, what we think is in shape, what the stereotype of in shape is. That's not them. They're the, you know, dad, totally dad bod, uh, little, little, little past dad bod uh, heavyweights. But I think they're better than they actually, you would think. Uh, I'll start with Felipe. I, I understand where you're going with this card, uh, with his cardio, where he could fade. But I think that's because if he has a pretty good output for heavyweight, especially as you talked about early, um, his hands are deceivingly fast. He uses feints well. He does work behind a jab. He loves his overhand right. He kind of telegraphs it a little too much. Uh, but I like that he goes to the body. He has power at heavyweight because, you know, when you're 250 pounds, you're going to have power. But he isn't a heavyweight banger. Like he would, he isn't a big. You, you know, when I think about the heavy hitters at heavyweight, he's he's not in the club. He's get he, he's lined up in the in line of worse than my. He does have a nice bobble weave style, thudding leg kicks. Haven't seen much with him on the ground. Probably a reason for that. Move over to Kalia. Kalia looks like a much. And you know, obviously, you talk about Aspinall smoking him, and and I think it says more about Aspinall than Kalia. But Kalia looked much better in his last fight. He looks much better at heavyweight than he ever did. Uh, in lower weight classes, he for a heavyweight, he has high output. He has variety in his strikes. He he mixes up going high, going low, busy jab. We saw in his last fight, body kicks, a lot of calf kicks against uh, John Volante. Uh, he was digging. He was dipping to the left and digging to the body, uh, which I like. You know, going to the lower portion, the, you know, the liver shot, uh, solid jab. And let's not forget, this guy's a you know former NCAA wrestler, so he can mix in some takedowns. So. Uh, who am I going to pick? I'm going to go with Collier, too. Like, we're both coming out the gate, going with an upset. I just love the idea of a mediocre middleweight becoming somehow a serviceable heavyweight despite carrying an extra 50 or 60 pounds that's not needed. Uh, I think he's the faster fighter of these two. Uh, and not faster puncher, but faster uh, just overall movement. And like I said, he he still has that wrestling background. So if things aren't going on the feet, maybe he can get a takedown and we can see uh, what – the Brazilian has on the ground. So give me Collier, and I'm going to say by decision. There you go. Two picks right out the gate for the slight underdog in Jake Collier, a hero to anyone like me who is also 60 pounds past his best weight and yet out there, you know, getting it. 
That's it. Well, so we're going, we'll see how many fights in a row we'll pick the same and how many upsets we're going to pick. Because right now we're going bold right out the gate. And I've got a few more, so we will definitely see. Next up, it is the lightweights. As far as Zayam takes on Luigi Vendramini. Zayam, the 24-year-old Frenchman, is 11-3 overall. He is 1-1 in the UFC, uh, having fought most recently last October at UFC Fight Night Ortega versus Korean Zombie, uh, where he took a unanimous decision over Jamie Malarkey. He takes on Vendramini, the Italian stallion, who is from Brazil, is 9-1 overall. He also is 1-1 in the UFC. Uh, He made a short-notice debut at welterweight against Eliseo Zaleski Dos Santos all the way back in 2018 uh, and lost that one, but that got his foot in the door. He came back last October and uh, knocked out Jessen Ayari with a head kick and follow-up punches at UFC on ESPN, Holm versus Aldana. Odds on this one are pretty close, but they do slightly favor the Frenchman. Uh, Zayam is minus 135. Vendramini out there around plus 110 or plus 115 as the very slight underdog. Uh, Keith, how do you see this one playing out and who you got? Uh, this is another good fight. This is one of the fights when you were saying, you know, off off the top of the show, like what main card fight you know, you're most interested in. This didn't automatically jump to my brain, but... Now that I think about it, like this is one I'm I'm very intrigued from an X's and O's sense. We'll start with Zion. Is am I say that correct? I know you, I, you I know th- I suck I, with pronunciation. I think that's it. I'm yeah. not that confident on this one either. The, so yeah, the guy's only 24 years old. Like you gotta love that European K1 champion. You know, take that what it will. But you know, obviously he comes from a you know high level kickboxing background. He's huge for the weight class, long and lengthy. Uh, Works behind a, a hard guard, high guard defense that's from that kickboxing. We kind of tries to hide behind his hands a lot. But he's got good footwork, good movement. He knows how to keep his length. I love his jab that he, he kind of uses it two ways. He, he can either, if you get in like the mid, mid-range, he uses it as a power jab. Like he actually hurts you with it. But if you start, if you stay on the outside, he'll use it to kind of just play off and keep keeping his distance, to kind of checking his range. Not necessarily like keeping the range, more just checking. Like, okay, I'm still up where I want to be. Um, the one thing, and this happens to so many guys who come with kickboxing sense, they stand up very tall because one, they're not worried about takedowns. Two, they're used to hiding behind uh, the big, big gloves um, where they kind of lack head movement. It was even pointed out in his last fight, like for a guy who's so decorated that he doesn't really use. Head movement, which is so impressive for someone like Adesanya, who also comes from that kickboxing background, who's so good at head movement. Now, obviously, I'm, I, I just I, that shows you how excited I am to talk about Adesanya. Back to this fight. Um, in his last fight, so I actually thought he lost. I actually scored. I think I scored it for Jamie Malarkey, or it was one of those ones like I would have been okay with Jamie Malarkey when I can't remember what I what I sent to MMA decisions, but I remember rewatching. It, I was like, wow, this fight was closer than I remember. But he didn't like the pressure, and he really didn't like the output of Jamie Malarkey. That's what kept Jamie Malarkey in the fight. Uh, but I love that he had, he was athletic. He throws some flying knees in, great leg kicks. He really gets power in his leg kicks. He turns over his hips. Solid clinch striker because he's so tall. He can kind of just throw those knees up so easily up the middle. I like in the fight that he went for a takedown. It's good to see a guy that comes from a kickbox background comfortable enough to want to initiate some, some grappling. Uh, but, you know, the, the takedown wasn't the prettiest thing. 
But decent hip control, though. When he was taken down, he kept his hip moving, kind of created scrambles. And at one point, he actually swept Jamie Malarkey. Now move over to uh, Venderimi. I, I hope I'm saying that one name, too. Uh, and I was just talking about one guy being 24. This guy's 25. He's got a 100% finish rate. He he showed in his last fight great power. He's shown he improving can speed. He is wild. He, he is a little wild man. He wants to just kind of throw everything hard. Uh, but his leg kicks are also really, really hard. He can reach a little bit, though. Like, he'll overextend his punches, but he also reaches for punches. So when you when you throw a punch at him, he kind of, instead of keeping here to block or to parry, he kind of comes out here. And that's a huge no-go against him because all you got to do is you got to throw a little feint so they reach, and then you, you know, you go, mm, and they go over the top or mm, over the top, and he's got to get hit. Um, I don't know why I gave you those visuals, probably because this is the first time we're on video. Yeah. Um, uh, but... He he's he's a he's a good grappler, not the best entries. He's not a, he's definitely not an NCAA wrestler, but he's Brazilian Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt with four submissions. So he showed power in his hands. He's shown uh, submissions on the ground. Really really tough fight to call. Both guys are so young. I like that. I like what I've seen out of both guys. But when I'm on the fence, I always go back to the thing I've been going back to for 20 years now. If I got a striker versus a grappler. And I feel like it's a really close matchup. I'm going to go with the grappler. So I'm going to go back-to-back fights. I'm going to go with my second offset pick. And I'm going to take uh, Luigi Fenderini by, uh, I'm going to say by decision. It's two for two right out the gate. Uh, I have, I'm excited about the same things about Zion that you are. Uh, I'm concerned about the same things that you are. Uh, whether it's because of him coming from a kickboxing background of him having the very you know upright stance that comes from being from that background, from being just 24 and being a tall, long, lanky guy who at 24 probably hasn't even hit his own physical peak of like, like muscle strength yet. He has trouble with pressure. You know, he, he lost to Don Madge because Madge just kind of smothered him. He just crowded him, clinched him, just didn't let him uncork any of the cool kickboxing stuff he wanted to. And then I don't remember whether I scored uh, the Malarkey fight for Zayam or Malarkey, but I remember it being like, man, Jamie Malarkey does not usually have this easy a time taking people down. That's concerning because, as you pointed out, Vendramini is a very good grappler who doesn't have a lot of classic entries. But Zayam is a guy that, I mean, unless he's made some some strides, Vendramini is probably going to be able to get him down. I would feel better about this if uh, Vendramini didn't have all finishes, because I don't know what he looks like in the third round of a fight. Uh, but I'm I'm going to pick him to, to finish this fight. You know, I think Zayam probably has a higher ceiling. In fact, I'm very sure that Zayam has a higher ceiling. I think two years from now, Zayam is probably the better fighter of the two. Uh, but, you know, timing is everything. And even though Vendramini is only a year older, than Zayam and actually has fewer fights, he's closer to, I think, the finished product of what he's going to be. And he is a stocky and powerful little dude. I think he's going to have Zayam on his heels just with pure aggression early on while Zayam tries to stay at his preferred range. Vendramini's probably going to get him down at some point in the first round and give me Luigi Vendramini by first round submission. Yeah, just, just for the record, while you were talking, I looked up MMA decisions, and it was 15 scorecards for Malarkey, only two scores for Zion. You did not enter your scorecard, 
but I'm going to assume that you're on the right side of that. So we'll say you gave it for Malarkey. I, I did. I did give it to Malarkey. Twenty nine, twenty eight. Right. I mean, the the only real like memory that comes up from you know before I I watched the fight again was was man, you know Malarkey's getting this guy down on the ground pretty easily. But that you know doesn't what, surprise me. I remember when we were breaking down Jamie Malarkey, and one thing I said, and I think you actually might agree with me, Malarkey was one of these guys that he's much better than I remembered. Yeah, like, like I, I underestimated a bunch of those kind of Australian guys that all came yeah. into the UFC together three or four years ago. Like, I, I've had to a, a apologize to several of them, like, you know, indirectly, like, Jacob Malkoon, I'm still sorry. You know, like... <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You, you and me both. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to Brad Riddell further up the card, who I've underestimated even as he's kept on winning fights. So, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get to that soon. Next up, we head to the featherweight division as Chase Hooper takes on Steven Peterson. Hooper, the teenage dream who is now the early 20s dream, 21-year-old from Washington, is 10-1-1 overall. He is 2-1 in the UFC. He fought most recently uh, last December at UFC 256, Figueredo versus Moreno, uh, taking a third-round submission over Peter Barrett that uh, allowed him to bounce back from the first loss of his career, which was a unanimous decision against Alex Caceres last summer at UFC 250. He'll be taking on uh, Peterson. The 31-year-old Texan is 18-9 and nine overall. He's 2-3 and three in the UFC. He fought most recently last September, uh, taking, or sorry, knocking out Martin Bravo in the second round with a spinning back fist. That uh, was a bounce back from a two-fight losing streak for him against Luis Pena and Alex Caceres. This one is very close to a pick'em. Uh, Peterson is uh, minus 115. Hooper, not quite available at even money, but you can get him at minus 105 right now. Man, I don't know what Chase Hooper's ceiling is. I don't know if 10 years from now, Chase Hooper will be the four-time defending UFC featherweight or lightweight champion, or I don't know if he will have washed out of the sport entirely. I do know, or I do at least strongly believe that getting to the UFC as early as he did has not been a good thing for him. I think he would have been much better served to stay out in the regionals and just get in the reps and beat even, even beat just some overmatched people you know, fighting like four times a year for a couple more years. I think that would have been the best thing for him. Uh, you know, and or even if he had to take some lumps and take a, a loss or two out of the brightest lights, that would have been fine too. Instead, he's, I mean, he's been a great story. He has kind of this quirky charisma, obviously. He has gone like just to the hilt on the running joke of being Ben Askren's like illegitimate kid, which I, I'm all for it. Uh but, yeah, I, I don't think it's been the best thing for him. And, I mean, what's his UFC career? I mean, he blitzed Daniel Tamer. Daniel Tamer is, you know, a borderline UFC-level fighter. Again, a, a type of fighter that he could have faced on the regional scene, like someone of equal quality. He, like Alex Caceres, wily, tough veteran, was just way too much too soon for him. And he was losing to Peter Barrett before he hooked him. And, I mean, we are going to get to Paul Craig further up this card, but for most human beings, uh, like, pulling out a submission after getting your ass kicked for two and a half rounds is not, like, it's not a recipe for longevity in the UFC. 
So just he, his in-cage product has not matched up to the kind of star the UFC wants him to be. And on the flip side of this, Steven Peterson, every time I think about Steven Peterson, I, I'm always surprised that he's not older than he is because I always want to think he's like 38 or something and he's like barely, I, I think he was 30 at his last fight. And I have to keep reminding myself he's from Texas. Just everything about him from the record to the fight style to the like flaming Superman logo on his chest just makes me think, oh, yeah, this dude's from Iowa. But no, he's from Texas and he fights out of Fortis. I, I've got Peterson in, in, in this one, you know. I think the odds are about where they should be. He, he you know, he shouldn't be a, a massive favorite o- over Hooper. Hooper has definite routes to victory, namely a submission. But Peterson's gonna. I, I mean, he 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 hits harder. He's a better striker. He's a serviceable wrestler, and he's not a complete chump on the ground. I just I don't see where Hooper wins this outside of pulling out something like he did against Barrett. And I mean, Barrett's a, another fun story to have made it into the UFC, but Peterson is a better version of that same story. Uh, I mean, give me Steven Peterson by decision. Well, the first thing we got to do for Steven Peterson, if he doesn't remind you of Texas is he needs to be sponsored by Bucky's. No. <laughs> uh, they come out with the the big beaver uh, shirt and, yep. and let's 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 come on man let's let's get right, we need to somehow merge the UFC with that great company. I uh, am gonna look up your birthday in the Sherdog Fight Finder and I'm gonna send you a care package of Bucky stuff for your next birthday. <laughs> My I got I got the big birthday coming up this this uh, next birthday. Uh, oh, definitely yeah. send you. Uh, <laughs> okay. I love Bucky's. Oh, you know what? You want to make the announcement now? Let's just do the, the announcement now. Which announcement? The the newest sponsor of the Sherdog sure Radio Network uh, is Bucky's. <laughs> oh, well, we that... we haven't told we haven't told them yet, but uh, we somebody can. I'm sure somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who's high up in Bucky's and can get us a Bucky sponsorship. Let's make that happen. And and seriously, you don't even need to give us cash. We would do it just for like your jerky and your barbecue, and Absolutely. like yeah. And like one, we get one of those pictures, and we're like hanging in our background, like one of those beautiful pictures they have in their yeah. bathrooms They're for sale. Yeah. It's awesome. Or, That's like you know, going to the bathroom and looking up and seeing a picture for sale next to you. It's <laughs> it's, it's it's fantastic. Anyways, um, speaking of bathrooms, that made me think of this fight. Um, Steve, so I am actually intrigued by this, and it's more it's it's one hundred percent Chase Hooper, like where he's he at his career. Uh, I'll start with Steven Peterson. Well, Steven Peterson is a terrible athlete. Like, let's just be honest. Like, if if we've done this before, if we were lining up all the guys running a race in the in the division, Steven Peterson, he's dead. He's gonna be at the end. But if we if it's a long distance one, he's probably still running. Like he he's he's probably gonna, like Chase Hooper's gonna beat him in a race, but Steven Peterson probably beats him in a marathon. Um, but he's not a very technically sound guy. Uh, he's kind of slow. He does fight at has high volume. Like he throws a lot of punches. He works behind a busy jab. But he lacks power. Most of his punches are, are mostly arm punches. Now, I know people say, what do you mean he lacks power? His last fight was a knockout. Yeah, it was a Hail Mary spinning back fist knockout in a fight that he was losing up at that point, losing convincingly. He constantly fighting off his back foot. He has your high guard defense, uh, but it doesn't really help him because he's a pretty stationary target. doesn't move his head much. He's a weak defensive wrestler. You said he was a serv- serviceable offensive wrestler. And I agree with that from the Matt Bissett fight. Like, he won because he, he got takedowns on Matt Bissett. 
Uh, and his BJJ isn't too bad. Like he, we think about Steven Peterson as this like slugging, uh, you know, brawler, and he really should be a grappler. Like he's better. He's probably better at, uh, on the ground than he is on the feet. And, and then when he has been taken down, he has done pretty well to get back to his feet, and he's got good cardio, regardless of having all these physical limitations. He puts himself in fights by just fighting, you know, constantly for 15 minutes. Uh, um, as far as Hooper, so let's like let's just talk about the you know his style. He's southpaw. His his striking is pretty ugly. As we talked last time, we said he has some natural tools that you're born with. Like he has a long reach. Um, he has some insane toughness. He he marches down his foe. He throws. He, he's a guy that you could tell he's like done a lot of rounds on a bag where he throws straight punches or or he's done those those classes where like all right we're gonna we'll do this combination it's like one two right hook and he like he he then he attacks with that combination uh, without really letting it flow um he's he's not a good athlete though he's kind of slow he lacks power i mean that, that is some of that has to do with his age i expect his power to come along as he gets better doesn't have, as we just talked about his combinations, doesn't have much variety in strikes. Kind of the same. I think, like, in the Alex Caceres fight, he threw the same one two combination over and over again. We talked about the last time when we were breaking down his fight against Peter Barrett. Uh, but he is insanely tough. He kept going after Alex Caceres, even though he was getting destroyed. But he telegraphs his shots. Um, but he, I mind you again, he's only 21. Uh, he looks to get to the fight to the ground. Any way possible. He's a weak wrestler, though. For someone who's has, like you known for jiu-jitsu, he he struggles to get to the ground, uh, but he's relentless. Like he's going to get you there. No, like he's going to try to get you there any way possible. Like he'll pull guard, he'll Imanari roll, um, he'll just straight bull rush you and try to catch you against the cage. And he's very aggressive once you get to the ground. Like he's aggressive for submission. He uses his long arms and legs to lock on submission. Uh, he can make a comeback win because of his submissions. He'll attack knees and ankles. We saw that against Peter Barrett. Got some slick back takes, even though he was getting outclassed by Caceres. He had his back a few times. Uh, he gets some submissions off his back. And if he's on top, he's some decent ground and pound. So right now, Steven Peterson is the favorite. Um, I was surprised by that. I would, I would have thought Hooper would be the favorite. I feel very similar how you feel about Hooper. Like he's a, At best, he's an extremely low UFC-level talent right now. Um, and that's where Peterson is, too. Two years from now, I would be taking Hooper all day and feeling confident. However, I'm going to do the same route I did with Jordan Levitt. Until I see a better stand-up, I'm going to keep picking against him. Like He probably wins this fight. Like Peterson's probably a guy he can beat, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just going until you show me that you have at least competent stand-up, you know, striking. Give me Peterson in a really, really close, nitty-gritty matchup, and I'll say Peterson by split decision. There you go. Two picks for the veteran. The UFC 263 prelims power on in the lightweight division as it is Matt the Steamroller Frivola against Terrence T-Rex McKinney. Uh, Frivola, the 30-year-old New Yorker, is 8-2-1 overall. He is 2-2-1 since joining the UFC out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series. He fought most recently uh, back in January at UFC 257, losing a lopsided unanimous decision to late-notice replacement opponent Armin Sarukian. That snapped a two-fight winning streak for the New Yorker. He will be welcoming to the UFC 
extremely short notice, extremely short turnaround opponent, uh, McKinney. McKinney fought at LFA 109 in the headline fight four days ago, as of the time we're recording this. He'll be fighting on exactly a week's notice. He steps up uh, just within the last 24 hours as Frivola's originally scheduled opponent, uh, Frank Camacho, was in a car wreck, apparently, and got injured. So certainly best wishes to him for a speedy recovery, but perhaps an indication that this fight is not meant to happen, as this one had already been pushed back at least once for uh, for COVID considerations. So let this not become our, you know, Khabib versus Tony uh, of the next five years. Uh, McKinney is 26 years old, hails from Washington State. He's 10-3 and three overall. Uh, as I said, he's making his UFC debut. He actually appeared on Dana White's Contender Series back in Season 3. He was the springboard for Sean Woodson to enter the UFC. He lost by uh, second-round flying knee knockout. Uh, put his hard hat back on, went to work. Uh, he went on a three-fight winning streak, and now he gets his ultra-short-notice uh, debut. He is a substantial underdog, perhaps partly because of that. Uh, Frivola is minus 275. Uh, McKinney out there around plus 235 or so as the uh, as the underdog. Keith, as both of these guys are contender series people, uh, I will certainly throw it to you first. Uh, how do you see this one playing out? And win or lose, this is pretty much a house money fight for Terrence McKinney. You know, do you think he sticks in the UFC long term? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Like McKinney's a guy that I thought I mean, he was one of the guys on the contender series I was really high on. He just ran into Sean Woodson in a fight that, yeah, he got flying knee knocked out. He was winning that fight up at that mm-hmm. point. He was taking him down. Uh, he's got some good wins since the contender series. He's a guy, you know, he fights in LFA. It was always it's like the fast route to the UFC. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad he's in the uh, UFC. And I think it's a really, really fantastic matchup. Um, poor Matt Favola is twice now. His last two fights have been canceled the week of the fight, and he gets a new opponent. Um, last time, it was a brutal. Like, <laughs> getting, getting Armin Sarukian on, like, two days' notice, that sucks. But but props to him for not, you know, knowing that it's b- – both times it's changed styles, became a, you know, wrestler who – where he comes from a wrestling background. Now he's going against McKinney, another guy with wrestling. Like, it became a harder matchup, and he still – was willing to take the fight. So shout out to Matt Favola. Favola's on the feet. He's really fun. Like, he's just a fun guy. He's very aggressive. He's wild, throwing nonstop power shots, tries end of the fight with one punch, loads up on everything and wants to brawl. Um, but that makes him very hittable. He's got tons of heart. Like he'll keep coming, but he's been hurt in, it seems like every single fight he's been hurt. Uh, but he's also a good wrestler. He's well-rounded. He's good entries. Sometimes he can shoot from far too away. But one thing about him, he's not a power um, through you guy. He just wants to start a scramble. And what I like about him, and I said this last time we were breaking down, I like that he lands punches in the scrambles. He doesn't always just want to win the position. He understands the fighting aspect of it. Like if while I'm taking you back, if I, you know, instead of grabbing your arm to flatten you out, I punch you in the face, like that's going to help me. Um, good cardio, just as I mentioned, just keeps coming. He has three submission wins on the ground. He loves his guillotine, which could come in very handily against a wrestler if you can catch it. Um, moving McKinney, like I said, I'm glad he's in the UFC. I think he's well-rounded, southpaw, very fast hands. He loves his push kicks. He's got big, big power. Uh, he's got a 100% stoppage rate. 
he also is wild on the feet. Like he throws hard, throws everything in his shots. Uh, on the on the ground, junior college wrestling champion, lightning fast entries. Like he's he's on your hips fast, turning the corner before you even sprawl. If he's on top, he's looking to advance position, or he grounds upon you, as we just saw five days ago. His ground upon can put you out. That's what he did in his his last opponent five days ago, and he has a submission. He got six wins by submission. His gas tank is a big question mark because he's never been to a decision. I'm not concerned so much about taking a short notice fight as he'll gas out, you know, because he's taking it on five days notice or six, whatever, day, you know, whatever it was. It's more of having to cut weight twice. Now, his last fight was a catch weight of 160, but, you know, make it 160 and then make it 155. Um, as far as this fight, you said last time that it became a harder fight, much harder fight for. Matt Favola taking on Armin Sarukian. I actually think this is a harder fight going from Frank Camacho to Terrence McKinney, just from, from a style sense. I think McKinney it might be the better, might be the better. I don't know, which it would be fun to find out. He might have the better stand up. He, I think he hits harder of the two. And I've seen McKinney rock a lot of people on the feet, and I've seen Favola rocked a lot of times best. This is a real, like, like what's the word I look for? Like, like uh, catch fight? Like, this is a real uh, tra- trap fight. Like, like, there's a, there's, if he's looking past McKinney, he's going to get put out. And you know what? I'm going upset again, and I'm going a pretty big upset. I think this is, what, four fights? I'm taking three upsets out of the four fights. Give me McKinney. I think McKinney puts him out. I'll say second-round knockout. There you go. Uh, we've both picked a few upsets. This is an upset upset. This is like, you know, two-and-a-half-to-one odds. My hat is off to you, sir. <laughs> It's a dangerous fight for Favola for all the reasons you mentioned. Like, McKinney is, he's hes lightning, and he he's a finisher. I mean, I've seen, I think, five or six of his fights. Not only have I only seen him go past the first round once, I've only seen him go past, like, three minutes once, and that was the Woodson fight. The thing that concerns me about the Woodson fight is, yes, he was winning, but in the second round, he already looked tired, and he looked more tired than Sean Woodson. If your gas tank is on the on the worse than Sean Woodson side, that's concerning. And it's doubly concerning, again, you know, if you're having to cut weight twice in a week. You know, if McKinney had just gotten signed out of LFA, like he might well have been anyway, and he and Frivola fought three months from now on full camps, this would be a super, super trap fight for Frivola. As it is, I think McKinney's got about three minutes to finish Matt Frivola. Otherwise, Frivola, he's got one of the most appropriate nicknames in the UFC. It's, I mean, he's fun to watch on the feet. You know, he's a surprisingly effective wrestler. But yeah, it's it's heart, it's stamina, and he just kind of steamrolls people. It's, you know, how we beat people like, uh, you know, Jalen Turner, who's, you know, bigger bigger fighter, better athlete, you know, probably has several individual skills that are much better. Yeah, I, I've, I've got Frivola by decision in this one. I could see him being in trouble in the first round, maybe even taking enough damage that he loses the first round and has to win the second and third to win the fight. But again, it's if this fight makes it to the, the three-minute mark and is still standing, I, I think it's his fight to lose. So give me Matt Frivola by decision. And finally, we disagree on a fight. It is now time for the Bantamweights and the first women's fight on the UFC 263 lineup. It is Panny Kianzad versus Alexis Davis. Kianzad, the 29-year-old Swede, is 14-5 and five overall. She is 3-2 and two in the UFC. 
Uh, she is three and one in this stint with the UFC uh, since re uh, returning after losing at the uh, Tough 28 finale. She is on a three-fight winning streak. Uh, she's defeated uh, Jessica Rose Clark, Betch Cohea, and most recently, last December, Sajara Eubanks. All three of those fights by unanimous decision. That is a bounce back from her loss to Julia Avila uh, in her return fight to the UFC. Uh, she'll be taking on the, the Everything Old is New Again. Uh, Davis, the 36-year-old Canadian veteran, is 20-10 and 10 overall. She is 7-5 and 5 in the UFC. She won her last appearance, uh, defeating Sabina Mazo by unanimous decision at UFC Fight Night, Rosenstrike versus Gone. That was her first fight in nearly two years, and it was uh, the end of a three-fight losing streak. Uh, she had exited the UFC, well, not exited entirely, but she had had a long layoff after consecutive losses to Caitlin Chikagian, Jennifer Maya, and Viviani Arojo. Odds uh, favor Kianzad here. She is out there at minus 190 or so. You can get Davis at plus 160, plus 165 as the underdog. One thing that's nice about Alexis Davis being back in the UFC is uh, that Roxanne Modafferi now has a competitor for who would come in last if you did a decathlon among all female fighters. She's 36 now. Even when she was 26, she was never a plus athlete. I mean, she is hard-nosed grinder. Of, uh, you know, I think of probably her best individual skill as her offensive wrestling. She's always been a pretty effective, been pretty effective at getting the takedown despite her lack of an explosive first step or really slick traditional entries. She just kind of liked Modafferi just finds a way to get the fight uh, to the ground and has learned to take care of herself, uh, you know, reasonably well uh, on the feet in recent years. I mean, she she had that three fight losing streak, but it was against three really good fighters in Chikagian, Maya and Araujo. I mean, two of them are title challenger level fighters and the other is a contender. And several of those fights were close. Like I probably underestimated her when she came back. And she is just exactly the kind of fighter that has always been poisoned for Panny Kianzad. Like, I have the, I, I don't know this for a fact. Panny Kianzad trains in Denmark, lives in Sweden. I, I've, I've never been in a, a room training with her, let alone trained with her myself. But I have the feeling that she, she is someone that who absolutely kills in the gym. And just a lot of it doesn't make, to, make it to the cage. It's so easy to take her out of her game plan. She responds poorly to pressure. Uh, she responds poorly to people trying to bully her physically. You know, like on paper, she's a good striker. She's a very slick grappler. Like I think one of the better pure submission grapplers in kind of that 125, 135 range of the women's divisions. But I just don't have any faith that it's going to show in a fight with someone like, like Davis. Uh, you know, I, and if I, if it's a fighter that like Davis that I'm always having to remind myself that she's better than her record is and she's better than I remember her being, and then someone like Panny Kianzad, where I have to remind myself that I'm kind of disappointed halfway through every one of her fights because she's capable of more and it just doesn't happen. I, I know how I'm, I'm going. Just uh, it's a bit of an upset, but give me Alexis Davis by decision, and uh, I feel pretty good about this one. I'll, I'll mark this down as my upset special. All right. Wow. Yeah, I'm intrigued in X and O sense, which is, 
you know, I don't know how many fights we're in now, but we're probably four fights, five fights, six fights in, and, and five. I, five fights in, and I'm still intrigued. They haven't had that bathroom break fight yet. Uh, I'm not taking it on this one. Kia said she looks better each fight every time I've seen her fighting, and her she had a three fight winning streak. I actually like the girl she beat. Like it's three quality wins: uh, Jessica Roseclock, Betchkahea, and Sajara Eubanks. She's 29, but she definitely has a, a veteran feel to her. Um, she's a big bantamweight. I mean, she's a former featherweight. She on the feet, high output. Uh, I, I was looking, and you know, I don't do numbers. I, I we don't really we don't do it on the on the recap show. We don't do uh, oh this many significant strikes like well, that's not our style. Um, but in her last three fights, this as as saying that I'm gonna bring up these numbers. Her last three fights, her significant strikes in in the, those three fights were 98, 108, and 92. Those are some good numbers. And and the reason why we don't bring up side note, the reason why I don't bring, I shouldn't speak for both of us. The reason why I don't really like to bring up significant strike numbers in this because not all significant strikes are equal. Nope. You know. Anyways. Uh, back to it. She's a good boxer. I think her boxing is good. I think she's constantly moving forward. I think she's pretty fast. I think she has decent power. I like that she stays very compact. Like it's it's everything's tight, busy busy jab, um, adds in low kicks in her into her combinations, which I like. She has some defensive holes. She's very hittable. She keeps her head on the center line, uh, but at, in the grappling sense, she's very physically strong in the clinch. Weak takedown defense. Uh, and she struggles to get back up, but her top game I think is 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 pretty good. If she gets you taken down, she can hold you down. She can look work for submission. Moving to Alexis Davis, as we just talked about the output of Penny Kinzad, it's you never outwork Alexis Davis. Like that's her that's her game. She's going to be working. She's a pressure counter striker on the feet. Uh, good at timing her opponent's attacks. She also attacks with combinations. Her best. Strike is probably her straight right. It's just a very basic down the pipe punch. Uh, she tends to hang her hands a little low, though. Uh, she works a lot of kicks too, part of her game. Um, but in the clinch, she's a grinder. She's just going to grind in there. She'll she'll get in the clinch. She wants chest to chest, mixing some uh, takedowns from the clinch. Her entries are okay. Like did not she's not Sarah McMahon or Tatiana Suarez. Well, but she does, as you mentioned, she finds ways to get on top. Like she finds. Like she just a scramble's gonna ensue and usually she's the one who's gonna be on top. Uh she's she's more of a top side grappler than, than an overall grappler. Like she's not that good on her back. She can get a submission off her back, and and she actually she has eight submission wins in her career. But like she she needs to be from the top. Like she's got good top control, good ground and pound. Um she and we talked about this last time. She gets taken down because of her overconfidence, I think, in her grappling. Um, she does have good cardio, though. One thing that really worries me, and, and I probably should do this a little higher up on the striking, is she's taken a lot of um, punishment, and she has a lot of scar tissue, so she's always bloody. I think about like the Vivian Arujo fight, she was bloody up bad. And even in the fight that she won, Sabina Mazzo, she was bloody up. Uh, as far as predictions go, it is really hard, and it made me second-guess it, too. It's, it's always hard to pick against Alexis Davis, because... Even though she could be match, outmatched skilled, she's going to find a way to make this fight close. Like, this is not going to be a, a one-sided affair for Penny Kinsad if Penny Kinsad wins. Like, she's going to have to work for every moment of that fight. Um, however, Alexis Davis' grit and toughness can only take her so far. And I think I think there's such an 
a mismatch on the feet. And Davis is at the point in her career where she really should. I mean, I think we've already seen signs of decline, but it really should continue. And Kian's not the opposite. She's in the prime years. and She's never looked better. So we're going to disagree again. I'm going to take Penny Kenizad. I'm going to take her by decision. There you go. The kind of gentlemen's disagreements and and high drama that, that you tune in for, folks. We head back to the featherweight division for the next prelim, and it is an indication of how stacked the UFC 263 card is that kind of in the middle of the prelims, there is a matchup in one of the two or three deepest divisions in the UFC between two guys where the winner might well, you know, be on the verge, might well be in the top 10 of the UFC rankings and will probably be in the lower reaches of the Sherdog rankings as well. That's just how much good stuff is on this card. It is Movsar Evloev versus Hakim Dawudu. Evloev, the 27-year-old Russian, is a perfect 14-0 in his professional career. He is a perfect 4-0 in the UFC. Uh, fought most recently back in January at UFC 257, where he took a split decision over Nick Lentz. He will be taking on Dawadu. The 29-year-old Canadian is 12-1-1 overall. He is 5-1 in the UFC. Uh, he dropped his UFC debut in shocking fashion, getting choked uh, all the way out by Danny Henry back in March of 2018. Since then, he has won five straight over a pretty solid opposition. Uh, Austin Arnett, Kyle Bokniak, Yoshinori Horie, Julio Arce, and most recently, last September, took a split decision over Zubaira Tukugov. Odds in this one uh, do strongly favor the Russian. He is out there at minus 235 or so, where you can get Dawudu at plus 190 or plus 195 as the underdog. Keith, this is a very high-level prospect slash borderline contender matchup, yet one man is the substantial favorite. Do you agree, and how do you see this fight playing out? Uh, I'm not surprised, I'll say. Like, I'm not surprised that Evelef is is the favorite. I mean, he's he's got it. You know, he's had some great show showings in the UFC so far. Uh, Duadu, though, he's been looking pretty good himself. Now, uh, Duadu is a counter striker that stays very composed on the feet. Like that, what really jumps out to me. He stalks his prey, but he doesn't over pursue. He doesn't waste energy. Um, he and that actually can be a little too much. Like he can be a slow starter. We talked about that in the past. Uh, he's also a high guard defense guy. Uses feints wells, great calf kicks. Like that's when he starts turning those hips, it, it's a thing of beauty, especially his last fight. He doesn't check leg kicks though, which is surprising uh, for someone who throws so many calf kicks himself. Um, I wouldn't say he's a weak defensive wrestler, but he has been taken down three out of his last four fights. But you have to work to get him down, and then if you get him down, you have to work even harder to get back up. But like he's he's. I wouldn't say he's ex he's not an explosive athlete. Like when you, you know, stereotype, you know, they let's say stereotype black guy, oh, explosive. That's not Duwadu. He's just <laughs> he's more technically sound, and has very stereotype uh, or not stereotype was what I'm saying. Uh, pun. He's mean. <laughs> like he 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 turns those when he throws calf kicks. He wants to rip your calf muscle off your bone. Like that's when he throws it. Uh, move over to Evloff. Evloff is way different. He he's just smooth. 
Uh, I think he's so good. He's so well-rounded, so technical on the feet, um, high output on the feet, quick hands, real, real snap in his punches, beautiful. Like his stinging jab, like he just works behind his jab, slips punches so smoothly, but he does it while also keeping himself in range. Uh, like the flyweight champion of the world we're going to talk about, Davis Figueroa, a very similar style where he, he slips, not to necessarily miss the sh- the punch, but to set up his own shots. Um, he can sneak in kicks in his combinations. He loves spinning attacks. I kind of wish he would do it less. Like, I don't think they're as effective. And I think they're a little waste of energy, but he'll throw it in, just kind of excite you. And he's a good wrestler. Like, not even good, he's a great wrestler. Perfect timing on his reactionary double. Shoots when his opponent starts to strike. He's really good at, um, okay, I'm going to strike now when they think I'm going to wrestle. Now I'm going to wrestle when they think I'm going to strike. Um, but one thing that's surprising, and I said the last time, is I'm surprised how much he struggles to keep people down. Like he takes you down, uh, but his top game is he's not Habib on top. Um, though he is a submission threat, uh, I, I was surprised in the Barzola. Actually, I was actually it's been three fights. Like even though he's such a great offensive wrestler, he's been taken down by Enrique Barzola, Mike Gr- Grundy, and Nick Letts. Now all three of them are good wrestlers, mm-hmm. but I'm just surprised that he was taken down by all three of the. Um, but if you when he took him down, he initiated ins- insane scrambles, grabby rolls, and, and um, sit outs, and all, all kinds of stuff. Really, really fun guy. This fight is so good. But give me Evloev. He is the better wrestler. He, I think he might be the better striker. And sometimes Duadu fights down to his competition. That's why he's like so many. Like he had split decisions. I think was it was like Arce was. I think was a split decision. He has three split decisions in, or I no three decisions, two splitters in his uh, five fight. Yeah, no, three split, deci- three split decisions in this five-fight win streak. What Tukugov, Arce, and Bokniak. Yeah. Um, how, yeah, I just he, I think he fights down to his competition. And I like I know Nick Lenz fight with Evloev was a split decision. That shouldn't have been a split decision. That was an easy one for Evloev. Uh, give me Evloev. Uh, I'm going to say he makes it the distance. Uh, Doado makes it the distance. So give me Evloev by decision. Yeah, I... I'm with you. I'm I'm really high on both these guys as prospects, but this is this lines up badly for uh, Duado. I was going to mention the whole split decision thing independently because Duado is not good at winning rounds. It is kind of the problem. Like uh, you mentioned, he's a slow starter, and even once he's kind of gotten into his flow, he's not always a high volume guy. He he's sometimes a guy who's a little too willing to wait. You know, throw out a few calf kicks, and it can make it hard. It can make it hard for judges to see the extent to which he's controlling a fight. Like his his fights, at least at the UFC level, basically always go to decision, and they always seem closer than they need to be. When you know, even though he's like the superior fighter, that's tough against Ivloev. Like you pointed out, he's so well rounded. Uh, you know, Dawudu will if this fight is just conducted on the feet and Dawudu does his usual thing, he'll probably lose all three rounds. Ivloev will be busier. You know, he'll be slick. He'll stay in range, like you said. And then there's the question of the wrestling. Uh, I mean, you and I both couldn't stop talking about the Ivloev versus Grundy fight uh, last summer. Just, you know, where Grundy, a very, very good wrestler, could get him down but couldn't keep him down. You know, just the, the scrambles were insane. It was such a fun fight. I don't know if this fight goes to the ground much like unless Evloev wants it there. I, I can't picture Dawoodoo trying to bring the fight to the ground. But yeah, 
like I like that would do a lot. There are a lot of I mean, there are ranked featherweights that he could definitely give a run for their money, but Ivloev is one, I think he's probably the future of the division. And two, just in the specifics, they don't match up well for Dawadu. Uh Give me Ivloev uh, by decision <clears throat> uh, by decision as well. Next up on the UFC 263 prelims, it is the flyweights as Lauren Murphy and Joanne Calderwood go at it. Once again, an indication of what a strong card this is that a likely title eliminator is not even the top prelim. Murphy, the 37-year-old Alaskan fighting out of Houston, is 14-4 overall. She is 6-4 in the UFC. She fought most recently last October, uh, choking out Lilia Shakirova in the second round of their matchup at UFC 254. Uh, Previous to that, she took a unanimous decision over Roxanne Modafferi at UFC on ESPN Blades versus Volkov. She is on a four-fight winning streak. She takes on Calderwood. The 34-year-old Scott, by way of Las Vegas, is 15-5 overall. She is 7-5 in the UFC. Uh, Fought most recently in January at UFC 257, taking a unanimous decision over uh, Jessica I. Uh, Calderwood, of course, very famously uh, a little over a year ago, had been slated for a title shot against Valentina Shevchenko, uh, chose to take a fight in between while Shevchenko uh, recuperated and lost to Jennifer Maya. So here we have a possible title eliminator between one woman who I don't think anyone would have argued against her getting a title shot without having to take this fight and another who would already have had a title uh, shot, you know, had she not made that fateful decision. This is about as high level of fight as you can put together in the uh, UFC flyweight division without Valentina Shevchenko in it. Odds are close on this one. Uh, Calderwood actually the favorite. She's uh, minus 150. You can get Murphy at plus 130 uh, as the underdog. Who do you like in this one, Keith? Uh, I like the fight. That's the first thing I like. I, I, I'm really, really intrigued. It's a good stylistic matchup. I'm, I'm going to start with Murphy. Um, I'm going to say this, and, and I, I don't know if this is controversial, but I think it, it's unpopular. I think Lana Murphy should be fighting for the UFC title over Juliana Pena. Like, she's been on a better run than Juliana Pena. There you go. Um, yep. I mean, Juliana Pena talked herself into the title shot. Uh, Lana Murphy, she, she's not a great athlete, but she just makes up for it with output and power. Um, she's a good boxer, busy jab, generates power because she really sits on her punches. She throws a lot of power shots. She hurt her last two opponents on the feet with power shots. Um, she's she's really good at moving and then pulling her opponents into her power shots, which is which is it, what people mean is is you're throwing the punches while they're coming forward. As you're backing up, you cut suddenly you stop, you hold your ground while they're coming forward, and you pull them into your power shot. So it becomes twice as more powerful because one you're throwing obviously your power shot, but they're also moving into it. Which is uh, a very you know common technique in boxing. Uh, that's one thing she likes to do well. Uh, the other thing about her is she can take a beat in and she just keeps moving. Uh, she does struggle with, with checking kicks. Uh, that's one thing because she's such a heavy um, sitting on her punches, so heavy on her front foot. Um, but she's strong in the clinch just because she's a strong woman. She can get you in the clinch, grind on you. Um, and but she's got okay entries from that time outside. She'll surprise you and try to win round with a takedown. Um, she's intelligent. Decent top control. 
Uh, I would say okay takedown defense. She's definitely not a, a wrestler, or she's not F scrambling, but she's not easy to take down. Namuo to Calderwood. Calderwood's a Muay Thai style striker. Um, she stands up tall. She likes the kicks and the clinch. And good volume. I would say she lacks punching power. She's not a big, you know, puncher. Uh, but she's she's got a solid jab, but lots of kicks, uh, leg kicks, teep kicks. She likes stepping knees. If you're getting close, she'll look for a slicing elbow. She does keep her chin high, and she kind of pulls her head back to avoid shots. She also pulls her head when she's throwing punches. And what I mean by that, like when you you pull, you you kind of put, you're trying to you're trying to punch with your hand or your arm. You know, you're trying to punch with your fist, but also pulling your body away so you don't get countered, and you lose all your power when you do that. It's it's very amateur. amateur I, I can't. It's late at night. It's a very uh, amateur move. Um, she she will um she will get the fight to the ground, but it's it's usually like her catching a kick or something. They get bull rushing over. Um, she stands up very high though, keeps her chin uh, very open target because of that. Um, she's a weak defensive wrestler. She was taken three taken down three times by Andrew Lee, who. As, as we said last time, we worked it out. Not a good wrestler. She's been subbed in several fights. Rose Namunas subbed her. Marna Morose subbed her. Jessica Andrade subbed her. Jennifer Meyer subbed her. She's just, she's like, she's just very inconsistent. Like if she gets you in the clinch, she can do some real good damage in the clinch. But then she like lose. You know, she'll look great against Jessica I, but then she loses Jennifer Meyer, and it's like, well, which girl is she? And I know it's two different. You know, one was very stand-up oriented fight one was on the ground so i don't think she's one-dimensional but she has been dominating on the ground very easily so as far as prediction goes this is an extremely hot fight this is one of the ones to me is like coin toss this is as close as it comes i said i liked the collier heavyweight title run i feel the same way about lauren murphy title run uh she can't be in the kicking range with Calderwood. she can't be all the way in the clinch range um, she she can be sorry, she she doesn't want to be where um while they're exchanging punches with his distance she doesn't want to be able to where Caldwell can grab her neck and kind of plumb clincher she can be in a chest to chest grind against the fence clinch grain I just want to point that out there um, however I think she can out wrestle Caldwell but more importantly I think if she can get to the po- pocket I think she can land some good shots and and outbox her. Give me Murphy by split decision. I say Laura Murphy finally gets herself a title shot. I'm with you on this one, and I would have been even more confident about it before I saw Calderwood versus I. Because, you know, Calderwood, like, beat I badly. She won won all three rounds, you know, definitely, like, pieced her up on, on the feet, both at range and in close. And I, I tried to get it to the ground multiple times, and had like very little success that worries me because those are all things that you know do factor into uh lauren murphy's uh route to victory against her i love that you that you kind of split up your discussion of the clinch because yeah there's calderwood has very good knees from uh from the clinch and for somebody who has always been a little susceptible to getting physically bullied both at strawweight and at flyweight she is strong in the clinch you know, when she gets the, the you know, the double collar tie, when she gets the plum, like, you know, she does the, you know, the, I'm not saying she's Anderson Silva, 
but you know she seems to have her way with physically stronger fighters she just has good technique there but uh you know a lot of murphy's wins in this streak she's done a lot of that just chest pressure against the fence that's kind of been her safe spot so i, I think this fight's going to be won or lost in in the clinch you know murphy you know, she might strike for some takedowns. She's probably going to take uh, some damage on the feet if she hangs out in, in kicking range for any significant amount of time. But this fight's going to be won or lost in the clinch. Uh, and I, like I said, I would have been really confident in Murphy in this one if I hadn't seen Calderwood uh, against I. She, like, I thought it was one of the better performances of her UFC run. Just, you know, a, a fighter who at one point would have been a bad stylistic match for her and Calderwood just like completely out, outclassed her. I am so I'm going with Murphy as well, but I'm not super confident in it. Like he's like you said, you know Calderwood has been very inconsistent. Uh, she's beaten better fighters than Murphy. She's lost to much lesser fighters uh, than Murphy. Uh, and that being the case, yeah, like I'm I'm gonna go with Murphy, but it is it is not a, a real strong pick. Um, yeah, let me let me correct something before I get murdered. I, I mixed up my weight classes for a second. I said that I, I thought that Lauren Murphy deserved a title shot over Juliana Pena. No, no, I'm mixing up. I remember I was upset about Juliana Pena getting a title shot. It was Yana Kuniskaya who deserves a shot more than yes. Juliana Pena. But there's a, there's a trend to my madness. I thought Lauren Murphy should have already got a title shot against Valentina Shevchenko instead of Jennifer Meyer. So sorry, I mixed up my weight class. But either way, my point was... I, Lauren Murphy should have got a title shot. Jalen Pontius should not have. Jennifer Maya had one win. Lauren Murphy's on a three-fight winning streak. That's where I was going. There you go. Sorry. Next up at the UFC 263 prelims, it is the first of three uh, rematches on the card. This one, uh, a light heavyweight matchup between two habitual middleweights in Eric Anders and Darren Stewart. Uh Anders, the 34-year-old Alabaman, is 13-5 with one no contest. He's 5-5 with one no contest in the UFC. Stewart, the 30-year-old Brit, is 12-6 with two no contests. He is 5-6 with two no contests in the UFC. The most recent no contest for both men, of course, took place back in March where a wild first round uh, ended in disappointment for all involved when Anders landed an inadvertent but blatantly illegal knee on Stewart while he was grounded. Uh, fight was called. No contest. They remade it here a couple months later. Uh, by mutual agreement, the two of them will be contesting this one at light heavyweight. Uh, Anders is the slight favorite to get it done this way through, or this time through legal means, as he is out there at minus 150. Uh, Stewart is available plus 125, uh, plus 130 as the underdog. Uh, Keith, who do you like in this one? Um, I, I like the matchup. As you mentioned, it's at light heavyweight. I like that. I talked to Eric Anders, and he said, yeah, we both said we fought each other a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of months ago. Let's not cut weight again. Let's just let's move up to light heavyweight, and I'm, I'm like, that's cool. Uh, especially you know, the, the the winner doesn't get that much gain in the division in middleweight, so why why cut the weight? I'll start with Anders. I thought Anders looked great in, in his last fight. Like uh, Southpaw, he was more aggressive than usual. The commentators talked about how big he looked in there, like physically big. Uh, and this is a guy that was always a physically big uh, middleweight. Uh, good power. I mean, obviously he had hurt. You know, Stewart hurt bad. He was marching forward. 
He looked faster than usual. Uh, he does, you, you know, usually rely too much on his left hand. He kind of he throws it over and over again. And he tries to end it with one punch every time. He often doesn't look to grapple, but in this fight he did a little bit. Like he went in for, uh, you know, he picked uh, Stewart up at one point. Um, cardio has been an issue in the past. We slow, we saw him slow down against Gerald Mershot. Um, but he, he looked much better against, uh, Yako in that fight. So he's, he's taking a lot of damage. I think about the, the fight against Tiago Santos, the fight against Clear Roundtree's examples. Um, and he was even hurt about Gerald Mershot. So I still like, I want to pump the brakes a little bit on my Eric Anders love because I, I you know, I might get, get oversold by five minutes of what I saw. Um, so I don't want people to think I'm like driving his bandwagon. Now move over to Darren Stewart. He's not that fast, but he's got good power. Um, he loves to brawl, though uh, he might not want to against Eric Anders after what happened in the first fight. I mean, yeah, there was an illegal knee, but he was on his way out. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, good calf kicks, though. And Darren Stewart, we talked about Anders not wrestling enough. Darren Stewart is an underrated grappler. Like He's pretty good. He's usually very physically strong. Uh, you know, He's usually the stronger fighter. That won't be the case against Eric Anders. And I think it might... You know, it might be a bigger disadvantage when they move up to light heavyweight. You know, you add another twenty pounds to Eric Anders, that might be a bad thing. But maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a maybe it was a uh, strategy thing. You know, like apparently Stewart's camp is one who who suggested it. So maybe they think, well, Anders adding twenty pounds will make it a little slower. Like I don't know. Uh, but in the clinch is an era that Stewart does really well. He can sneak in a takedown. Uh, he can catch a submission. He loves the guillotine. He's got some pretty good ground and pound. So as far as prediction goes, last time I picked Stewart, but and I'm I, f- I feel very uncomfortable saying this. Andrew showed me enough in that five minute, you know, whatever, you know, four and a half minutes or whatever it was to change my mind. I think the fight was gonna could have been stopped even before the illegal knee. I say Anders doesn't miss the opportunity this time. I'm gonna say Anders gets a second round TKO. Yeah, I'm surprised that the odds are as close as they are considering the outcome of the first fight because, yeah, it was on the verge of being stopped anyway. Like, it would have been an early, a slightly early stoppage if it had been stopped three seconds before, but not, like, you know, screaming at the TV early. Like, I thought he was going to finish that fight before the end of the round. And I'm with you. Like, Anders looked really good against Stewart. Uh even though he lost to Christoph Yatko, I thought he looked pretty good in the loss because the problem with Eric Anders early on was he was just so prone to getting outclassed by uh, by more sophisticated strikers of, of almost any kind. I mean, Lyoto Machida was way too much too early for such a raw prospect. But, uh, I mean, Elias Theodoro just he lost a terrible, slow-paced kickboxing match to Theodoro. And the problem there is that's Theodore's fight. Like he wants to win a terrible slow paced, like kickboxing match where he throws like six kicks around and just stays away from his opponent. But for Anders to let him do that was incredibly disappointing. And then, I mean, his fight against Roundtree that you mentioned, that's another one of that's about as wrong as I've ever been about a fight. Like I thought of them as vaguely, I I thought of them as pretty similar fighters in a pretty similar place competitively. And Roundtree had just, you know, been talking about doing uh, his last couple camps in Thailand. I wasn't a big believer in the fighter vacation, like Thailand thing. 
and Khalil Roundtree came back looking, you know, like a Lumpany champ. I maybe Anders has moved past that. Maybe just you know, kind of a late starter in MMA, and things are just starting to click for him now. I'm like you that like I'm not ready to pronounce him a completely different fighter based on four and a half minutes of work, but I am prepared to pronounce him better than Darren Stewart based on that four and a half minutes of work because it was against Stewart. Uh, I'm I'm with you. I've got Anders in this one. The line does not make a whole lot of sense to me. Give me Anders by uh, by first round knockout. That brings us to the featured prelim of UFC 263. It is a lightweight scrap between Drew Dober and Brad Riddell. Dober, the 32-year-old Nebraska native, is 23-10 and 10 with one no contest. Overall, he's 9-6 and six with one no contest in the UFC. Fought most recently back in March at UFC 259, uh, getting choked out in the third round by uh, Islam Makachev. That snapped a three-fight winning streak over Marco Polo Reyes, Nazrat Hakparast, and Alexander Hernandez. He will take on... Uh, Riddell, the 29-year-old New Zealander, is 9-1 overall. He's a perfect 3-0 in the UFC, having defeated Jamie Malarkey, Magomed Mustafaev, and most recently, last September, uh, Alex Da Silva Coelho. Odds in this one slightly favor Dober. He is minus 140. You can get Riddell at plus 120 on the comeback. Uh, Keith? Obviously, you love this fight. If you don't love this fight, you probably don't like MMA very much. But who do you like in this fight? Oh, man, I have no idea. This is this is another one of these coin tosses. It's such a fun, stylistic match, especially on the feet. Uh, Drew Dober, he's just one of these guys who has made so much improvements over the years. I mean, this is a guy that was at one point I looked at as a low-level UFC talent. Now I look at him as one of the best strikers in the division. Southpaw, really good kickboxing. He's more of a counter-striker that uses pressure. Uh, you know, he likes to move forward, get you to the punch, then he, then he, you know, lands shots. Uh, love his head movement. I love his feints. I like his slip and rip style. He hits hard. Uh, and the reason, we talked about this last time, the reason why he hits so hard is his foot placement. He constantly sets up his straight right by stepping just out of the center line, lining up his punch uh, right on target. Uh, he can chase the KO sometimes, kind of throwing so hard instead of just flowing, which um, he doesn't need to do. Like he's got, he's so technically sound, and he, I mean, he's built like look at him, he's built like a freaking fire hydrant. Um, th- though, um, you know, so he does, he can just kind of like throw, and he's gonna he's gonna knock you out. Um, also, when he overthrows, it sets him up for his biggest weakness, which is wrestling. It sets him up to be taken down. Um, we, I mean, we saw that in his last fight. He was taken down uh, tons of times. Um, however, I don't think that's going to be the case this time um, as he took on uh, probably the best wrestler of the division. Um, but the, I said this last time, and I'll say it again. Like he, We won't ever see an elite Drew Dober, an elite lightweight, until he fixes his defensive wrestling. Uh, Brad Riddell, I'm going to use the same exact notes I had for Gregor Gillespie because he hasn't fought since we broke him down. So uh, I wasn't going to put the extra work in. Uh, he's well-rounded. He's a great athlete. He's a good, probably a great striker, high guard, a lot of variety of strikes. Good jab, his clean right hand, uh, throws combinations, good tight pocket boxing. Um, he kind of strikes, 
by planting his feet and refusing to just back down. Like he just, okay, I'm going to hold this ground. I'm going to wait for you. And then I'm going to throw punches similar to Davis and Figueroa likes to do. I'd love his step in elbows. Like he'll get in close and just step in and throw an elbow. Good calf kicks. He's a good grappler. He can, um, you can shoot without setting up sometimes. Like you could just shoot wildly. Um, but he's, he more shoots just to create a scramble where he wins a lot of scrambles. Uh, the Musta, uh, Musta, how do I say his name? Mustafayev fight. Mustafayev, yeah. Mustafayev, sorry, is a good example. Like he, um, he was winning scrambles. Now, the Alex Silva fight is probably a bad example where he actually was taken down sometimes. Now he still worked up to his feet and had some great scrambles, but I was surprised that he was taken down by Alex Silva. Um, but uh, good cardio too. Like he didn't slow down. That was what won him that fight, the Alex and Silva fight. And I feel like a lot of people see that fight. It was like, wow, the fight was closer. I think it says more about Alex and Silva than it says about Riddell. Uh, this is an incredible fight. I love both these guys. I expect both guys to be landing huge shots and good output. I'm gonna take Riddell though, and this is my fifth upset now of the night already. Already, and I'm just gonna go because one, I th- I think he might be slightly faster, but also. If it's not going his way, he can go to his wrestling. I don't expect him to, but like I think he can win the stand-up. I know he can win the wrestling. So he's got two avenues of victory. I think Drew Dober only has one. So give me uh, Brad Riddell, another upset pick. Wow, there you go. Yeah, I mean, this is my fight of the night pick. Uh, because of the the stylistic matchup i mean these two guys are both really exciting strikers and neither of them is likely to want the fight to go to the ground except maybe as a desperation move or a safety valve like you mentioned it's an available avenue for brad riddell the thing i always have to remind myself about drew dober and you know this is where i uh, you know coined that term that i heard once from jordan breen he looks wrestly you know you see a stocky five foot eight guy from nebraska with cauliflower ear and you're like oh i bet that dude's a fucking wrestler and then you're like nope not a wrestler. Uh, I bet you he wrestled with Steven Peterson in Ohio. Yeah, there, <laughs> there you go. I mean, the, the original guy that he said that about was Nate Marquardt. You know, because you're like, oh, he's from Wyoming. He's got this gnarly cauliflower ear. He must be a great wrestler. He's like, no, the, like his wrestling was always his weakness. He was a very slick grappler and a really hard hitter and a terrible wrestler. Uh, yeah, Dober has, Dober has turned some kind of corner. Uh, you know, he's always been like a... a technically sound striker but despite being built the way he is he didn't seem to have knockout power at the ufc level i mean he knocked out like the ghost of josh berkman but something changed you know over the the last year or two and he i mean dude marco polo reyes nazrat hakparas and alexander hernandez are all good fighters and uh, a couple of them he just cleaned like starched them it wasn't even like an accumulation of damage I, I, I like that power against Riddell. Um, you know, I, I'm i not confident in the pick, but I'm going to go with uh, Dober to probably land the harder shots, especially early on. And I'm not I'm not picking a knockout here, but to uh, do enough to like at least win the first uh, two rounds just by doing more damage. And, you know, maybe uh, Riddell does, you know, take the third. Maybe Riddell... Uh, and maybe I'm just dead wrong, and he t- ends up outstriking Dober, but I, I'm not seeing it that way. Give me uh, Drew Dober by decision in this one. 
We begin the main card of UFC 263 with a light heavyweight showdown between Paul Craig and Jamal Hill. Craig, the 33-year-old Scott, is 14-4-1 overall. He is 6-4-1 in the UFC, uh, fought most recently last November at UFC 255, where he knocked out, well, he pummeled the legendary Shogun Hua into tapping to strikes in the second round of their rematch pressing site for all involved except presumably Craig and his immediate family members. Anyway, he takes on Hill. The man who goes by Sweet Dreams is 30 years old. He is 8 and 0 with one no contest overall. He is 2 and 0 with one new co- with one no contest since joining the UFC out of uh, Dana White's Contender Series season 3. Uh, of course, that no contest was a highlight reel knockout of Clidson Abreu, which was later overturned uh, when he tested positive for cannabis. Depending on how you feel about that, it certainly doesn't erase the visual memory of him winning his first three UFC bouts in pretty easy and straightforward fashion. Hill, a prohibitive favorite here, one of the bigger favorites on the card. He is minus 280. You can get Craig around plus 240 as the underdog. Uh, we were talking just in between segments here, uh, you know, off air about why is this fight on the main card when you have a, you know, a title eliminator, uh, just, you know, three fights down the card from them in the form of, uh, Calderwood and Murphy. It's, it's one of two things. I mean, the UFC's card ordering doesn't always make sense to us outsiders, but this is, either going to be a get over fight for a guy in Hill that presumably they want to get over, or it's going to give another, you know, highlight of the year type thing when Paul Craig pulls something unlikely out of his bag of tricks. Jamal Hill, he, I mean, he is on the cusp of contention and stardom in a way that you very, very rarely see out of a fighter with fewer than 10 fights. Uh, you know, like by all rights, he should be three and zero in the UFC right now, and kind of in that boat of people who got over last year, like you know Kevin Holland, Kamzat Shmaev, uh, Joaquin Buckley. You know, he hit a little speed bump or a little weed bump, I, I guess. Uh, but he's a super fun guy to to watch fight. You know, super athletic, long. Uh, you know, really long striker. Uh, lots of power he's really active and entertaining to watch but not completely wild like he's he's not quite johnny walker level but you know he he can be a kind of a a tornado of like knockout power coming at you and this is both a setup fight and a trap fight it's a setup fight in that paul craig for a guy who's you know he's above 500 in the ufc his weaknesses do not match up well with hill's strengths like Craig is a minus athlete. Like he's a very big guy. He's almost always the bigger guy in his fights, but he's slow, slow, slow. Like he's one of those guys that's coming in last in the light heavyweight decathlon. Uh, I think of his striking as, I mean, he has reasonably good uh, technique. You know, he, he throws pretty straight punches. He will try to throw kicks, but his footwork is kind of poor and it's made worse by the fact that he is slow of foot he he can look good striking against like the shell of Shogun Hua, but against a guy with the speed advantages of Hill, this is going to be a massacre on the feet. Craig's thing, of course, is he 
is the guy that pulls out the literal last second submission. I mean, you know, his win over Magomed and Kaliyev is still one of the biggest upsets in UFC history. It took place with literally one second left in the fight. It's something he'll always have. But unless Hill does just something exceedingly stupid in this fight, this is his to win. I mean, give me Jamal Hill by a nasty highlight reel knockout on the feet in the first round. Wow, call him the highlight reel. So you said that Paul Craig, yeah, he has a physically big light heavyweight. Like he's huge. Mm-hmm. He's six foot three. Um, but you said he, you know, he'd finish last in the decathlon. He's six foot three. You think he can slam dunk? <laughs> I don't know. No, like I, I if, if if you had, you know, five hundred dollars on your hand and you had to make a bet, you could either bet that he slam dunks it no. or not. No. I'm betting no. I'm betting no. Like he might even have the hops to get it to the rim, but he'd like brick it off the, you know, <laughs> off the rim or something. Like he would not be able to just cleanly dunk a basketball. Sure. In fantasy, he's from Scotland, which I, I don't know what the basketball uh, scene in Scotland is like. Uh, but um, he, he, as you mentioned, he's physically big, but he doesn't have the power. Like for someone who's, you know, big light heavyweight, um, his chin is so high in the air. It's always ready to be cracked. I mean, Shogun Hua was still cracking them. In like 2020, mm-hmm. uh, he he even for, for a guy who's so big, he doesn't throw a lot of kicks. Uh, I'm sorry, he, he, sorry, he he doesn't throw good kicks. He throws a lot of kicks, but they're like they're not good. Like he doesn't turn over his hips. He kind of just throws them out there. He throws them out there to get caught. It might it might be a strategy. He might be asked you to take him down because uh, he wants to get to throw the ground. But for a guy who wants to get to throw the ground, he's not much of a wrestler. Like he. He can't. He won't go in, and he has to take it down. He'll, 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 he'll find any way possible to get it. But it's like pulling guard if he has to. Um, I mean, he pulled guard against Shogun, uh, and and got a probably got a draw because of it. Um, he has a submission threat. He can get subs off your back. We talked about that though. He plays BJJ too much to me. Like when he's losing the position, like against Shogun, he didn't like work back to his feet. And he isn't some elite grappler. Like it wouldn't be shock me. Like not Jamal Hill, but you know. I'd, I'd easily take probably ten light heavyweights that I would take him in a straight jujitsu match over him. Um, and he's a he's a, as we already mentioned he's a terrible defensive wrestler. Now moving to Hill, I think Hill's one of the best strikers in the UFC already. Uh, he's southpaw, long and lengthy, uses like uses his lengthy traits like we we talked about last time. Works behind a stiff jab, straight punches down the pipe, teep kicks, step in knees, like all things you want a long and lengthy guy to do. But also he's very accurate. Uh, he lands to the body. He rips the body with with hard strikes, kicks to the body. Um, he does keep his chin a little high in the air. He needs to fix that. He doesn't move his head that much. Um, he's been rocked a little bit by pulling his head straight back. Um, but uh, I like that he, he initiates the clinch. Uh, I like that he will look for some wrestling takedowns himself, though he isn't a wrestler. Uh, and he has um, terrible takedown defense. I mean, Darko Stoicek took him down like – like six times, I think, in that fight. It might have been more than that. Um, though, even though he got taken down, he didn't stay down. Like, he found little openings in the scramble to get back to his feet. Um, he threw up some submission attempts with his you know, long legs and that. I don't think he's going to be a submission threat in the UFC, but it's, it's nice to see him have something down there. Um, and he hasn't shown any gas tank issues for some guy who's so big. You are very high on Hill winning this. I feel the same way. I think Hill runs right through him. Uh, I think he's going to have to stop a takedown or stop a guard pull. But every second it's on the feet, Hill has a better chance of getting that knockout. 
I say, I say Craig takes his chance on the feet, a little too confident with the Shogun fights, and he'll make some pay for it. You said highlight reel knockout. I'm following you, man. I say also highlight reel knockout. Hill first round. It's now time for the welterweights as 43-year-old living legend Damian Maya makes his return to the cage against Bilal Muhammad. Maya, 28-10 overall, 22-10 in the UFC, a former title challenger in both the middleweight and welterweight divisions. He fought most recently uh, last March, getting knocked out in half a round by uh, Gilbert Burns, who was on a way on his way to his own title shot, of course. Uh, that snapped a three-fight winning streak over Lyman Good, Anthony Rocco Martin, and Ben Askren. Muhammad, the 32-year-old uh, Chicago native, is 18-3 with one no contest overall. He is 9-3 with one no contest in the UFC. That no contest came in his most recent appearance just uh, this past March in the headliner, the uh, short-notice headliner, of UFC Fight Night Edwards versus Muhammad, where a fairly close and competitive first uh, round came grinding to a halt 18 seconds into the second round when uh, Muhammad received uh, the last of several eye pokes in that fight, that final one rendering him unable to continue. Uh, he had been on a four-fight winning streak before then and seems not to have lost too much of the momentum there as he does get another uh, big name in his next uh, fight. Muhammad, strong favorite here, minus 230. You can get Maya at plus 190 if you fancy him as the underdog. I would fancy Maya as the underdog if he were not taking on someone as smart and well-rounded as Bilal Muhammad. I think even at 43... Even just, you know, in clearly the final phase of his career, I don't think it would surprise anybody if he retired, you know, after this win or lose. I think he remains an underratedly dangerous guy. Uh, you know, as his as his athleticism has, you know, gone the way of the dinosaur, he's regressed back into being what he was in like, you know, 2008, 2009, a, a very one-dimensional fighter. You know, it became... You know, like there were jokes in the forums and on, you know, podcasts about, you know, K1 Maya, but they were affectionate jokes because his striking actually became surprisingly effective there for a while. And then, of course, one of the most underratedly dangerous things about Maya throughout his career is he's always had an outstanding bag of tricks to get the fight to the ground, even against superior wrestlers on paper. Um, you know, those things, those things are going away. I do not expect him to be able to hold his own against Bilal Muhammad in a kickboxing match. And I don't think he's going to have a very easy time getting Muhammad to the ground, you know, in the way that he, you know, used to do to like, you know, the Chael Sonnens of the world. Again, you know, there are still some people out there, even fringe contenders that Maya could probably sneak up on right now, but Bilal Muhammad is just, you know, he's well-rounded. He's not bad anywhere. And he, just he fights he fights a smart fight and fights to his best advantage every time out like I, I look at Muhammad over the last few years and he's always kind of percolated right beneath the rankings just he's always lost one just the absolute worst moment and it's set him back you know and he's had to go win three or four more in a row that's the story of welterweight but in his case he just he has gotten beaten by fighters who are better at that time you know Jeff Neal Vicente Luque 
it's never been that he just screwed the pooch and like fought a dumb fight. And him fighting a dumb fight is, I think that's the only way he he loses to to Maya here. You know, like he'd have to do something stupid in the clinch and let Maya take his back standing or or something in order to lose this fight. Uh, you know, it probably won't be fun to watch. Maya is in the final stages of his career, one of the most legendarily nice guys in the history of the sport. But uh, give me Bilal Muhammad by uh, by unanimous decision. Yeah, you said he's one of the nice guys in the sport. Like, I don't know anybody who's not a fan of David Meyer, which is so funny for a guy who's known for his grappling. Like, that's usually not the case. Like, so, you know, he's definitely not a lay and pray guy like some of the guys you get characterized. But just to be as popular as he is, like by every MMA fan, is crazy. I mean, when Gilbert Burns knocked him out, he cried to be in a guy like David Maya. Uh, and he earned a title shot with that, you know, or I don't know if that was the fight. With him, but it, yeah, it was that was it the fight? that got I think that was shot? the one right before. Or, or no, was it, was it Woodley? Woodley. It was Maya and Woodley. Either way, it was, at that yeah. point, it was the biggest win in his career, and 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 he's crying. Um, so you know, Maya Southpaw, his you 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 mentioned you know the the K one Maya and all that. It, it was fun, but you're right. It, why was it saying that? Because he was landing, especially that left that left straight. Now, it it could be that he got pretty good at stand up, or simply that his opponents were so worried about his grappling that they didn't focus on his fighting. It, I mean, it's striking, and that's something like, oh, yeah, I'm going to fight, and he's punching me in the face. One thing about he does, David Maya, is he uses forward movement, and he never takes a step back. He's always moving forward, and he's constantly taking ground and just creeping and creeping and creeping to get that, closing the distance without you even knowing he's doing it already, and then also forcing you to go back towards the cage and he's so good at cutting off the cage. So he gets you like a little like trapped, you know, animal. And then he just he's like that dog catcher that he just snags your neck and takes you away. Um, he's got great entries. Um, his single leg takedown is, is legendary. And the way he's, you know, kind of Jordan Levitt was trying to do a similar thing that David Mayan does. Not, not the same thing. But uh, and you mentioned like those wrestlers that he's actually out wrestled. I mean, Ben Askren recently he out wrestled and, and, and I remember when he threw chill sun in and like, these are good, good wrestlers and he might be the best grappler in MMA history. If, if not, he's, as we always say, he's getting in the club. He's in the club. Like yep. not only in the club, but he's getting like the, like a VIP room. He's getting like some free champagne. If, 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 if it's a private club, he's getting on the board. Like, come on. If he takes you down, he stays glued to you, both in the clinch or on the ground. He's he's a guy who you know is control before you know control position before submission. Uh, even in his fight against Gilbert Burns, I mean everyone remembers the knockout. He had Gilbert Burns back in that fight, like early. Now Gilbert Burns is also a extremely high elite level grappler that he was able to fight his way out of that. Uh, obviously. David Maya's submissions, right? I mean, he's one of the greatest submission artists of all time. Namuro Bilal Muhammad, good movement. That's going to be a key. He's got to move, but he's got to move. He's got to circle. He can't move straight back. Um, I would say, I would say he's a good striker, not a great striker. Like I've heard people like really talking about his striking as as, as something special. I don't see it special. Like I think it's good. I think it's serviceable. Um, I would say it's upper It's you know upper half of the welterweight division or or. You know, top twenty, just pure striking in the division. So, like, I'm not trying to trash him. Like, it's good. I just, I'm surprised at how how much people 
uh, credit him. I think it's because he stays so composed. Like he's very calm in there. He uses feints well. He works behind a jab. Good variety in his attacks. Will target the body. Uh, like likes his calf kicks, uh, which he might not want to throw against David. Meyer. He might want to throw any kicks against David Meyer. Uh, defensively, he he uses head movement well, uh, though he has been hurt a lot. Uh, he's been uh, you know, he's been in a couple wars. Uh, he is a bit undersized. I think I think he's he's like a tween. He's not. He'll never fight at lightweight, but he's a little undersized for like like him against Kamar Usman. Kamar Usman would tower over him. Um, I, but while he's undersized, I'm surprised how effective he is with his wrestling. He's a very good wrestler. Uh, great at just dropping down on his opponent's hits, timing it. Um, good good back takes. Um, so. And I love how you talked about, you know, we talked about last time when, when we were breaking down Bell Muhammad versus Leon Edwards. You kept saying, like, how smart he is. I was saying, like, he's a thinker. Like, he comes up with a game plan and he executes it. So as far as the prediction goes, um, wait, did you, did you hear that? Nope. No, you didn't hear that? Oh, that was the sound of an upset special coming through. Whoa! Everyone is writing Meyer off. This guy's won three out of his last four fights. His last fight, he had the back of Gilbert Burns. I know, I know. I was going to say, yeah, Muhammad has never been submitted before. He's also never faced Damon Maya before. Maya's going to do Maya stuff. He's going to back Muhammad up. He's going to take him down, and he's going to submit him. Give me Damon Maya to submit Bilal Muhammad in round two. My upset special. Wow. Boldness. That That is a ballsy pick, sir. Like, you, I mean, you, you, you took all the the thinking and talking points I had, but you had the the cojones to like actually make the call, and it might look really smart in a few days. I mean, yeah, Maya's <laughs> lost four of his last seven, but they're against like literally the four best guys in the division over that time. It's like yeah. Usman, Covington, uh, Woodley, and Burns. Like, you know, that's, that's my sixth upset. <laughs> like, my pick that's... might be re- my my picks might be really bad this card. <laughs> so, do you have Maya by submission? Yeah, I took my my second round submission. Incredible, sir. You know what? You know what? If I'm gonna have big balls, let's turn it to first round. First round. There we go. Third from the top of the UFC 263 pay-per-view main card. It is a welterweight scrap between Leon Edwards and Nate Diaz. Edwards, the 29-year-old uh from I believe Birmingham uh, is 18 and three with one no contest. He is 10 and two with one no contest in the UFC. Uh, he is on a nine fight unbeaten streak with eight straight wins plus the no contest against Muhammad just a couple months ago. He will be taking on Diaz, the 36 year old from Stockton, California, is 20 and 12 overall. He is 15 and 10 since uh, winning the fifth season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, Fought most recently in November of 2019, losing uh, by third round or between third and fourth round, uh, Dr. Stoppage after getting beaten up by Jorge Masvidal in a fight for a belt that the two of them basically uh, spoke into existence. Masvidal went home with the BMF belt. Uh, Diaz went home for... A little over a year and a half. He returns as the substantial underdog here. Uh, Edwards is minus 600 as the favorite. Diaz plus 450 on the comeback. Keith, 
what does Leon Edwards have to do to get a title shot in the UFC? <laughs> and then tell me how you see this fight playing out. Uh, I mean, he's got to talk about BMF and, and, and hang out in Miami and, and, and wear robes to, 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 I don't, I don't know. I mean, some of it is just bad timing. I mean, it, you know, with COVID and shutting down and I mean, it's, it's sometimes just bad luck, but this is like turning Tony Ferguson, like, you know, Tony Ferguson level of why can't this guy get a title fight? Uh, Leon Edwards, I mean, this dude is really good. You just watch him. Southpaw, he's, he's on the feet. He's very accurate. Gr the thing that jumps out to me with Leon Edwards is his footwork. He's light on his feet. He, he uses movement two ways. He uses movement to, one, avoid shots, but also to place his, his, himself in alignment for power shots. Like It's, it's really a thing of beauty. Uh, good feints. He's a good counter striker. Head movement is good. He's accurate. I, I, I wrote accurate twice, so that's tells you what I think about his accuracy. Um, he's got a very slip and rip style. Um, power is really coming along. Like I, I wouldn't say he's a you know I wouldn't say he's a power puncher for the division, but um, he can crack, and he's a good wrestler. I mean, we think of British fighters, and you know any of our listeners from Britain. I'm not trying to shit on you, but you guys know you're not wrestlers. That ain't the case with Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards is a good wrestler. And he, and he loves to get in in the clinch, body lock. Where when he won, he's a big welterweight. He just weigh you down, just out muscle you. But he'll body lock you, take you down, smothering top control, good ground and pound. Now move over to Nate Diaz. I mean, uh, Nate's Nate. Like, do I have to? Should I break down his skills? I mean, we know what it is. He, he's fun. I mean, he's a he's got definitely a boxing style. Good output. Constant pressure, constantly looking to take. Like we talked about Damon Maya taking ground. He's the same way with Nate Diaz. He's trying to constantly force you on your back foot um, to punch you. He, he, it's funny his punches not don't necessarily hurt you. I think they mentally break you when you have a guy like can't continue moving forward and swearing at you and walking with his hands down as you're trying to circle away from him and he's still you know he's he's barking at you. And he, you know, he's spitting blood while he's still throwing punches at you. I think I think that mentally breaks people more than it physically breaks them. Um, he obviously has this high guard to come at you. You know, he's got this thing going, um, and he just he just touches. He's not trying to even, and, and he's he's touching you. Not that in the sense where he's touching you to try to win rounds. He's just trying to be busy, and then he'll unload big shots. Uh, his left hook being his best one. Uh, he uses, they use a lot of, both the Diaz brothers, but he uses a lot of hand fighting where he likes to grab the front hand and he does it very similar to Connor where he, which is so funny when they fight each other, it's very intri intriguing, but they, he, they distract like Connor doesn't grab it. He more like does this thing going. And so he can throw the left Diaz does. He likes to grab, he likes a hand one to get your range, but also to set up his shots. Um, but he doesn't have big power. Like he's he's not a big power guy. I mean, we 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 talk about that. I mean, this is a guy that's uh, fighting at welterweight that really was a you know former lightweight. He probably, you know, if he took the MMA game serious, he'd probably be a lightweight. Uh, and he has no kicks at all. Like you, you'd never see Diaz throw a kick um, because of his high guard defense. He's wide open to body shots. He's also very heavy on his front foot, leaving open to leg kicks. That's one thing Connor did in the second fight. He was really targeting the leg kicks early on because of that heaviness. Um, and I'm worried about his chin. I mean, I, I know that's kind of bold to say, being that I think he's only been knocked out once, if I recall, the the 
Josh Thompson. Oh, I mean, and the, and the doctor stoppage with Mosby on the last one. But I mean, like, I think Josh Thompson is still the only one to knock him out. I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but you know, you think about the, the the power shots. You know that a guy like McGregor was landing on him. The last fight, Masvidal. I mean, Masvidal was beating his ass. Um, and and then besides the damage of the chin, it's just the scar tissue. I mean, he cuts in every single fight. His last fight was stopped from a cut. Um, if he gets to the ground, he's decent. He's, well, if he goes to the clinch, he's a good clinch uh, battle. He likes to do trips in there. That's actually like a. It's a it's a era that he has a lot of success people with, not against Leon Edwards. He's not going to win the clinch against Leon Edwards. Uh, but he, he, you know, if he gets you to the ground, he is a well. One, he's not he's not a good offensive wrestler. Like he's from the outside, from shooting on your hips, like he can get some trips from the clinch, but he's not. You know, he's not going to shoot on your hips and really take you down. Um, and he's very weak defensively. Um, he he plays BJJ. He, he gets in bottom. He struggles to get back up. He'll he'd rather just punch you from from while laying on bottom. While he is a submission threat, I think it's really overrated. Like I don't think the D, I don't think the D, either Diaz brothers is as good as grapplers as people uh, um, make them out to be. Um, he can take a beating. Um, in fairness, in the third round, uh, he was actually having a decent round against Masvidal. Uh, when that you know between the third and fourth round was right, the third round was one of his better rounds. I mean, he still was getting dominated in all three rounds. I know there's a lot of notes. I gave a lot of notes because let's be honest, there's going to be a whole bunch of people listening to this just just going to ro- scroll right to the Nate Diaz fight. To those people, listen. If you want to see Nate Diaz and win, like if you if you, if you're a casual fan who knows Nate Diaz and and you want him to win and you and you and you're going to be very disappointed, and you're you're going to be pissed off and and you don't want to waste your money. Don't want this fight. Don't order this card. If you want to be, have fun with your friends and drink some beers and watch fights, yeah. And and, and you're ordering it because you want to watch Nate Diaz, go for it because it's a fantastic card. But Leon Edwards is going to murder Nate Diaz. He is better than Nate Diaz everywhere. I expect this to be one of our nominations for beatdown of the year. Um, it's not usual for Nate Diaz to be stopped. I expect Edwards to be in a piss out of him until the referee decides it's enough it stops him and i say that happens in the third round give me leon edwards in a in a fight that all every single hardcore fan knows is going to happen i shouldn't say every single obviously i'm generalizing but i mean he's what the negative 600 favor whatever it is mm-hmm. you said this would be the fight that we all knew it was coming but now the rest of the world will find out how good leon Edwards is, and then you can't deny him a title shot yeah, I, and something I should have mentioned off the top, this, despite not being a title fight and not being a main event, is a five-round fight. Like you, I don't think it gets there. Uh, Nate Diaz is, in most ways, the same fighter he was 10 years ago. You know, good, high-volume boxer, doesn't sit down on his punches. You know, like a, very much a pity-pat guy who wants to just land volume, frustrate you you know, maybe hurt you or frustrate you slash hurt you into shooting a bad takedown on him and then you're in his world. Uh, I agree, like, very, very, you know, early 2000s elite uh, grappling, you know, like, looks for submissions off his back, doesn't really care to sweep. But, yeah, man, it's been it's been 10 years since he outgrappled a good grappler. Um, I, you already laid all the the rest of the Diaz skill set out 
I will tell you that, you know, you just mentioned, hey, some people are going to learn about uh, Leon Edwards. I learned about Leon Edwards almost exactly two years ago from about 15 feet away when I watched him just put it on Rafael Dos Anjos for five rounds. I had Dos Anjos in that fight. You know, I was, it was in San Antonio. I was covering it for sure, dog. And Edwards was better everywhere. And he did Rafael Dos Anjos things to Rafael Dos Anjos because Dos Anjos was the grinder. I'm going to, I'm just going to wear you out in the clinch. I'm going to out wrestle you. You're going to be surprised at how much pop there is in my boxing. And Edwards just broke him. Uh, and that was against Rafael Dos Anjos. Like I, like Nate's not going to be able to take that from him. Uh, He's, I mean, he's still a tough guy, but you pointed out the main problem. Diaz is going to be bleeding from over the eyes by like three minutes into this fight. So that's going to factor into it. Uh, Edwards isn't going to need to bring this fight to the ground if he doesn't want to. And that's where, I mean, he would be in the most danger. Like, I, I highly favor Edwards in this, but if Diaz wins, it's most likely, you know, a sub from his back because... Edwards got hurt or got you know, sloppy. Edwards doesn't get hurt or get sloppy very often. Uh, I, I'm with you. I, I think Diaz probably does make it to the third round, and it's it's stopped by the ref or stopped by the doctor just because he's a bloody mess and just getting walloped, kind of like the Masvidal fight. And, yeah, then Edwards has a 10-fight unbeaten streak in the most merciless division in the UFC. And we'll see what the UFC wants him to do next before he gets a title shot. Does he have to fight two little people? Does he have to fight a shaved bear? I, who, who knows? But, uh, yeah, Edwards big time. It's chicken to call a 6-1 to one favorite the lock of the night. But, uh, you know, I definitely say, you know, I'd put him in my parlay. I can feel pretty comfortable about it. Next fight would be Leon Edwards versus Lauren Murphy. Winner finally gets the title shot. <laughs> and, no, we're not – advocating no, domestic no. violence or anything. No, we're not. And I mean, if we were like, uh, you know, Derek Lewis already called her out a couple weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> With that, we come to the co-main event of UFC 263. It is the first of two ma uh, rematches for titles. This one for the UFC men's flyweight belt. It is Davis and Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno. Figueredo, the 33-year-old Brazilian, is 21-1 and overall. He is 9-1-1 in the UFC. Uh, fought most recently, of course, to a draw with Moreno, which we'll talk about in a moment. Previous to that, he had been on a five-fight winning streak that uh, brought him to the uh, pinnacle of the division. Moreno, the 27-year-old Mexican, is 18-5-2 overall. He is 7-2-2 in the UFC, and uh, previous to the draw with Figueredo last December, had been on a three-fight winning streak over Kaikara France, Jussier Formiga, and Brandon Royval. Uh, odds on this one do favor the champ. He is minus 230. You can get Moreno at plus 190 or so as the underdog. Uh, it is unfair to Moreno in some ways, but in terms of him being in the flyweight picture and staying in the flyweight picture, uh, title picture, the fact that he had a draw with Figueredo and it was a fight of the year candidate last year, for all intents and purposes, he might as well have lost because if he beats Figueredo on Saturday, 
they're going to probably do an immediate uh, trilogy fight. If he loses to Figueredo, he's going to go back to the back of the line and have to win quite a few fights in a row before anyone wants to see Figueredo Moreno three. So, yeah, it's great that he got a draw. It's great that he proved he belonged at least for one night at the pinnacle of the division. But for his own future career, like I in my article this week, I said, like, this is kind of last chance for Brandon Moreno for as long as Figueredo is at the top of this division. Like, this is his chance to do it. And the thing is, their first fight, I mean, it was a fantastic fight. It was a majority draw. I mean, so it was two drawn scorecards and one scorecard for Figueredo. So I make of that what you will. But it was a majority draw. But the thing was booked on a three-week turnaround for both men. You know, both of them fought, uh, you know, uh, versus Alex Perez and Brandon Royval, I think it was. And then because a card three weeks down the road needed a headliner, you know, they agreed to fight each other in, in three weeks. That's going to be part of the story of this as well. Uh, now, I'm going to leave aside the quick turnaround weight cut because that presumably affects both of them the same, even though, you know, Figueredo obviously has a hard weight cut and I figured that would hurt him. But, you know, it, it, they both had to make the same weight. Figueredo claimed later that he had to be hospitalized with a stomach infection, uh, you know, like within the 24 hours before the fight. I don't know whether that's true. That's impossible to confirm or falsify, you know, for me. What I do know is that short, you know, like short notice fights, you know, short notice changes of opponent, they introduce chaos into the equation because it's two fighters who are less prepared for each other. And that always favors the underdog. <clears throat> If Figueredo wins tonight, I think the narrative coming out of it is, well, Brandon Moreno was never a match for full camp Figgy. So there's a lot on the line for Brandon Moreno. And the thing is, I'm I'm with all of that. I think uh, Figueredo is going to win this one more convincingly than he won the first one. Uh, Figueredo, uh, you've called him mean. Dana White has called him mean. I will I will finish out the trio and say, Davis and Figueredo is mean. They're... I mean, lots of fighters scowl, you know, like we just talked about Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz hasn't smiled in 15 years. Figueredo just, he has a murderous look, and he comes forward and throws strikes, and it's not like he winds up and gets wild on stuff, but they all just have mean intentions on them. He doesn't put on a furious pace by flyweight standards. I think of him as more of a flyweight uh, Jose Aldo, you know, where he is capable of blindingly quick strikes, and blindingly quick offense, but it's wait, 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 burst, burst, burst. It is, I, I feel, more of his uh, pace. You know, the one thing he will throw out regularly are, are his kicks, but <clears throat> I think that's probably just what he's learned as a coping mechanism for being such a huge flyweight. He's, he's like, okay, if I need three round, now five round cardio, this is how I get it, by managing my output. Uh, Moreno likes to fight at a more furious pace. He'll certainly try to impose that pace on Figueredo. I don't think he's going to be able to do it. Uh, and, you know, he thrives, you know, in, you know, wrestling slash grappling scrambles. I don't think that's going to be a safe place for him against Figueredo either. Just Moreno's a really good fighter and he's still improving. I mean, he's still only 27 years old, but the things he's good at just like, I think Figueredo is going to be either impervious to them or they just don't match up well with what Figueredo uh, does well. I'm, Two days ago, I was picking Moreno to make it to the final uh, horn. I'm not sure I, I am anymore. Uh, 
give me Davis and Figueredo by uh, fourth round. I'm going to say submission. Like he's wearing him down. He's hurting him. Moreno is is rung up, and you know they end up in one last scramble on the, on the ground. Figueredo takes the back, chucks him out. Yeah. So before the card started, I said that my fight of the night pick was uh, Riddell versus Dober. Uh, yeah. What am I thinking? This is gonna be the fight of the night. <laughs> like, uh, so I'm changing my pick to fight of the night. Uh, it was a incredible fight. On as you mentioned, three weeks notice. I don't think we give these guys enough credit for not only putting on a fight of the year candidate, but doing that after they, they just did a full camp right before that um, to put their bodies through that. It was, it was absolutely incredible. Um, uh, I'll start with Figueredo. Figueredo is, is, is one of the fighters that fights, and he's really good in both stances. Um, he's a great counter-striker, uses feints to draw out his attacks, great head movement. He has uh, a slip-and-rip style where he slips in the pocket to land the better shot. Where he, you know, he doesn't necessarily slip to miss the punch. He slips to land his own. Uh, he's even willing to like kind of eat a smaller punch to land one of his own bigger punches. He's he's also one of the best strikers in the entire UFC and all entire MMA of landing punches while backing up. Like he can, he, it's it's a very rare quality. Stephen Miocic, Chuck Liddell, you know these people that get credit. He's up there. Um, Obviously, he's for flyweight. He's like the Mike Tyson that flyweight. He's got big power. His right hand is his money shot. He kind of reminds me of Vandalay Silva, and I mean that as a compliment. Where he, he will sometimes he'll just or, or Brad Riddell does this too, but not what I was talking about earlier. He holds his ground and then just throws hard, looping, wild shots, and he throws them from weird angles, so you don't really don't see them coming. But when they connect, they really hurt you, and he just whips his whole body into them. Um, um, he can be a little bit of a maniac at times, though. Like, like that. That when I was saying that he's he holds his ground and throws wildly, that's not the maniac I'm talking about. Like, that's even though it is, it's like I remember, uh, and I, I wrote this down last time. I think it's the third time I wrote this down in my notes. Is the Pan- Pantoja fight where he just sprinted at him to throw one punch? He like ran full speed at him and threw a punch. Like it was kind of like a like you know, those videos you see of like. A, Hey, go punch that guy! And the guy runs full speed and punches some guy not looking. Like that's what it seemed like. Um, he does make the mistake of keeping his hands low, his, his chin a little high. He can be hit. Um, but what I I love, and this is out of everything he does, I think this might be the thing I love most of him is when he gets in close range, he can land elbows. He he looks for elbows. Uh, he doesn't check leg kicks. Uh, he is a very he's very strong in the clinch. He's he's just I mean you look at him he's a physically imposing flyweight. He's a good wrestler, nice reactionary double. Uh, I wrote down hard to take down, which really wasn't the case in his last fight against Brandon Moreno, which was we'll get to Brandon Moreno was so impressive of how good Brandon Moreno's wrestling looked. But when you take him down, he's 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 very explosive to get back up. He has a submission threat, beautiful guillotines. That's kind of his go-to. We saw that in the Alex Perez fight. Tim Elliott's another one. I I was really concerned in the last fight about his cardio being a three-week turnaround. We said, obviously, it's equal for both guys. We both feel the same way that it more likely have a bigger impact on Figueroa. That wasn't the case. He was still, you know, he slowed down a bit, as anybody should in 25 minutes, but he was still throwing hard heat 
in, in the fifth round. Namuel Moreno, just what a well-rounded fighter is. Good boxer, fast hands. I go. I said it last time. I'm gonna go say it again. The Kai Kaur France fight where he was just jabbing him, uh, like just worked him over with the jab. Uh, he when he wants to throw power shots, he sits on his punches. Good kicks, especially his high kick. He has a Robert Whitaker style where he dips one way and throws the high kick on the other side, uh, which which is a nice thing to do, especially after you just kind of land in punches. They start thinking about your punches, dip that. It's a really beautiful boxing defense. He bobs and weaves. He's a very, like, Bernard Hopkins style, like, shoulder roll, shoulder roll game. So it's, like, a lot of uh, deflecting shots. Uh, he mixes punches and takedowns in well. Um I was really impressed with his, as I said again, I was really impressed with his wrestling against Figueroa. Take Figueroa down as much. Uh, great in scrambles. Um, we've seen him, uh, you know, with his Grammy rolls and he got some slick back takes. If you try to hold him down, it, it's, it's very hard, hard to submit. So as far as prediction goes, uh, one, I, I think the odds could be much closer. Like I'm surprised that, that Figueroa is a two-to-one favorite in a fight that was a draw last time they fought. Um, but Moreno to me had his best fight with a bunch of takedowns that I did not expect. And I still think he lost. I, I didn't have it. The, what most of the judges had at 48, 47, I had a 48, 46. I had four rounds to one for Figueredo with the point deduction. And I was looking at MA decision. So did you. So yep. we, we both gave it for Figueredo. To me, he just simply has more avenues to victory. He has the more power on the feet. He's the biggest submission game. I think he will shore up his wrestling. I actually think wrestling could be an advantage for him, especially in the clinch if he can if he can close a distance and kind of get some chest to chest positions. Uh, I think Figueroa. I, I said it last time when he won the title. I think he's going to be the title the champion for a long time. Uh, this is probably going to be the stiffest test. And, and I think you're break. I think you made some really good points. Uh, one being that without a full camp, it it should favor the less skilled guy, or the underdog, as you said. Mm-hmm. I think that was a really really good point, and I think your point about this being the pressures on Brandon Moreno that like this is his last chance, his last chance with Figueroa as the champion. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good point, um, and I never really thought about that. So, uh, back to the prediction: give me Figueroa, give me Figueroa by decision. There you go. Two picks in favor of and still for the God of War. With that, we come to the main event of UFC 263. A scheduled five rounds for the undisputed UFC middleweight title. A rematch nearly four years in the making between Israel Adesanya and Marvin Vittori. Adesanya, the champ. The 31-year-old Nigerian-born New Zealander is 20-1 and overall. He is 9-1 and in the UFC. He is 9-0 and in the UFC middleweight division, his lone loss having come in his attempt for two-division glory back in March, where he challenged uh, light heavyweight champ Jan Blachowicz and lost a unanimous decision. He takes on Vittori, the 27-year-old from northern Italy, is 17-4-1 overall. He is 7-2-1 in the UFC. He is on a five-fight win streak. Those uh, wins coming over uh, Cesar Ferreira, Andrew Sanchez, Carl Roberson, Jack Hermanson, and most recently back in April at UFC on ABC2, Kevin Holland, whom he defeated by unanimous decision. Uh, Vittori and Adesanya, of course, have faced each other. 
that was back in April of 2018 at UFC on Fox, Poirier versus Gaethje. Adesanya won a split decision that night. Despite what Vittori would have you believe, he did not really win that fight. Uh, you know, it, to most observers, it seemed to be a fairly straightforward one round for Vittori, two for Adesanya. But nonetheless, it's in the books as a splitter. And uh, certainly it's provided plenty of fuel for the champ and challenger to yell at each other on video. Adesanya is a fairly strong favorite here. He is minus 250, minus 255. Uh, you can get Vittori as high as plus 220 uh, as the underdog. Keith, I'm going to throw this one to you first, and I'm going to throw out kind of a general question uh, with it as you break these guys and the fight down. Do you expect this to be like a fun and entertaining fight? Um, yes. Be, I'm always entertained by Adesanya, so yes. Like, I don't expect it to be a, like, two two avenues where it could be. I don't think it's going to be a Adesanya, Romero, where they're staring at each other. And I don't think it's going to be a Marvitari holding down Adesanya for huge, long periods of time, which is the avenue where people who are predicting Vittori to win is saying. Right. Okay. Um, as far as I, as I think is going to win... Guys, you've heard me. If you've ever listened to me talk about Adesanya, I've said it before. I think I said it last week. Adesanya is my absolute favorite fighter to watch film on. He, he, I think he's the best striker in MMA history. Um, he is the guy that I feel like I learn something new every time I watch him. I mean, this guy's deadly in in both stances, both orthodox or southpaw. Like, if let me ask you a question, like. Where's he? Be- what is he better? Is he better orthodox or is he better southpaw? I like that's I, my I, point. I, like that's my yeah. point. Like, that's how good he is. Like, is he a southpaw? Is he orthodox? Like, he's so good in both stances. Um, he's he's long and lengthy. He uses he knows how to use that. He's a master of distance. Um, he's so calm and poised. He's got good. I, he has good speed, but that's not what makes him. Deadly. What makes him deadly is how accurate he is with that speed. Um, and he's so intelligent. We talked about Bilal Muhammad being a thinker. You can see him thinking as he's fighting, especially on the feet. He's setting up traps. I love studying guys, but when I study him, I have no clue what he's trying to do. Like, he's that good. Like, I, and not that I'm like some striking mastermind, but I mean, like, I, I rewatch, I stop, I pause, I rewatch, and I can't see what he's. What, how he set that punch up? It's it's just he, he's he's just incredible. Um, his it, he he faints with his hands and his feet. Uh, his faints absolutely as I said this last time. He absolutely freezes opponents with it. He's got the best vision in maybe all of MMA. Like he has moments where he just enters the matrix. I mean, you think about the the, the Paul Costa knockout, the Robert Whitaker knockout, the Derek Brunson knockout. He's just he's moving at a speed that is just like. He's you know he's pushed everyone in slow motion. Great head movement. He blends punches and kicks well together. Can throw kicks everywhere. I keep talking about that question mark kick. It's, it's, he's going to hurt someone with it soon. Uh, he has power simply because of his you know not from his physique, but on his, his placement where he pushes things. He's uh, good in the clinch. Has some some trip takedowns in there. 
Uh, obviously, his defensive wrestling is a is a big concern. It was one that I stopped feeling concerned about, but but the you know the Blahovich fight is is the one that'll bring you back out. In fantasy, Blahovich was much bigger than Adesanya. Adesanya was way I don't know it was like 190 pounds fighting at 205. Before, you know, before the rehydration, uh, the, the the size difference between Blahovich and and uh, Adesanya was huge. That says Vittori did keep him down, and he struggled to get back up. Move over to Vittori. Vittori, I was thinking about this um, when you were breaking down the Figueredo fight. Vittori seems like he needs MMA. And, and you know what he was say, like, oh, MMA saved my life. Like, I feel like, and I don't really know his personal life that much. He just seems like he needed MMA. Because if he, if he wasn't an MMA fighter, like, Vittori seems like the guy that would have a shirt on way too small, sitting at a bar, and then trying to fight some dude because oh, he grazed up against my shoulder as we went to the bathroom, or he made eye contact with my girlfriend and didn't look down at the floor when she walked by him. You know, like, that seems like the guy. that He, he just seems like that guy. Oh, um, dude, he, he needs this. Can you imagine him being, like, your waiter or something, and you, like, <laughs> send something back to the kitchen? Like, yeah, he has the temperament for... Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I asked for onion rings, not French fries, and he just like slams the basket over your head. And you know what, though, I'm not trying to trash him. Like, don't change. Like, be like I- I've said this before. Like, we need personalities in MMA. Like, be like short-tempered, roid rage in a second. I'm not calling. I'm not saying he's on roids. I'm just using an example. Like, in a second, guy. Uh, he's a scary dude. He's just a physically imposing. I mean, you just look at him. He just looks like. He just looks like a muscle, like a big muscle. Uh, on the feet, he's aggressive, pocket boxer, a uh, lot of shoulder. It's, it's kind of like a theme. I think there's a third fighter on on this card that, I, which is not a common thing in MMA, but he likes to use shoulder rolls uh, with his head movement. Uh, he tends to lend. Uh, he 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 likes to use shoulder rolls because it also sets up his counters, which is power hooks. You know, he kind of loads up your power hooks. Um, he can be a little left-handed happy. He'll like, throw that power left a little too much. Uh, and he can drop his hands, uh, which I don't think he'll do that against Adesanya. The thing about him at this age, and I, and I, I, th- I said this last time we broke him, I feel, and we didn't see this in the last fight, but I still think it could be there. I feel like he might just be coming into his power. Like I feel like he, we might start seeing, because he's not the power hitter that his physique says it should be. Now, I know people say, oh, dude, you can't just look at the beach muscles. And I, I know it's why I was talking about Asanya. Like, I understand that. Like, But for his technical style and his pocket boxing, I feel like he's going to have that Drew Dober moment where suddenly he is, you know, uh, just landing a shot and putting guys out. Uh, good body kicks, uh, strong clinch fighter, good entries. A very underrated wrestler for... Uh, I mean, I, I should say this. He's not underrated in heading into this fight because suddenly everyone wants to talk about his wrestling. But, like, for his career. Like, no one's talking about him as this big wrestler. And then you're like, oh, wow. Like, Italian dude actually can wrestle. And he's solid on top. And, oh, he's a submission threat. Like, where did this come from? And uh, the other thing I like heading into the title fight, that he has gone 25 minutes. Like, that was a good notch to have, like, his ability to go 25 minutes. So as far as the prediction goes, I just... Since this fight was announced, I just kept thinking of like a a scene from like Band of Brothers or 
Saving Private Ryan, uh, just some like war movie. And I think about like the sniper up in the tower, up in the you know like the clock house in in Germany or something like that, in like a Band of Brothers scene. And I think like the only way you can get close enough to throw the grenade in and explode them, which is like that's what. Vittori can do is land one of those big grenades, big shots, kind of similar to Paulo Costa. We were saying, is you you have to like come, you know, it's that moment where they have to rush down, the, you know, the alleyway, the street, and that's when they start getting picked off. Well, that works good. I mean, it's it's extremely dangerous, obviously, and people die. And obviously, I'm not trying to make light of a serious situation, but that works really good when you have 30 guys running and the it doesn't have time to hit everybody. That doesn't that that's that's. That's a suicide mission if it's one person running. And unfortunately for Marvatori, he's only one person. I feel like he needs to rush to get the clinch. He needs to get in there. And I don't think he's going to get the chance. I think Adesanya is going to snipe him. I think he's going to be landing shots. I think he could use his movement. I think he's going to be landing kicks, uh, calf kicks, teep kicks, maybe that question mark kick, all the tools he has. And I think he's going to make it through the first round. And then the second round, he's going to pressure. We've seen what Adesanya does with pressure. Derek Brunson tried rushing him, put him out. Robert Whitaker, one of the biggest negatives about Robert Whitaker is his, his um, ego of trying to, I have to land a shot back if I got hit. And then that's when Adesanya punches out. I feel it's going to be the same way with Vittori. He's going to run. I mean, cost another guy. Well, I forget that. He rushed in and got knocked out. I think. Ventori's going to rush in, and he's going to get sniped out. Give me Adesanya, and this is my lock of the night. Israel Adesanya by second-round TKO. By TKO. I think he's going to put him out cold. I, I, I love a lot of what you put out there. And I, I love that you, you mentioned Adesanya's vision, you know, his ability to just you know throw his strike where his opponent's going to be, and his opponent's going to be there because a lot of the time he put him there. Because uh, it's not that he looks blindingly fast, but you can tell his opponents look slow to him. It's like he's seeing the fight in like Matrix bullet time. I mean, the the crazy thing about him is that it's not just that, you know, he's like outclassed, you know, everybody on the feet. He's outclassed very good strikers on the feet. Like Paulo Costa and Robert Whitaker are guys that we thought of as very good strikers. And he sees their flaws. He sees their tiny mistakes and just capitalizes on them just so beautifully and so effortlessly. I, you know, obviously as soon as this fight was announced, my immediate gut was, yeah, well, okay, Adesanya. Like both guys have improved, but the ways in which Vittori has improved don't matter. You know, he's a, he, like, I think he's a much better and more composed striker than he was, uh, you know, a few years ago, but that doesn't matter. Like, you know, you're not going to outstrike Israel Adesanya, but because that's what my gut said, I start going, okay, if Vittori beats Adesanya, what does it look like? Who are the people that have beaten Adesanya or at least given him a hard time? And really, it's Blahovich, it's Vittori himself in their first fight, and it's Kelvin Gastelum. Blahovich, like, you know, weighing 225 pounds on fight night is not something Vittori can do. So that, that one's kind of out. But, you know, Vittori took Adesanya down and won a round by controlling him. Gastelum, I mean, he tried for the takedown, didn't get a lot of them, but he made Adesanya think about the takedown enough that I think he landed more clean offense on him on the feet than any of his other uh, UFC opponents, even people we think of as much better strikers than Gastelum. 
if Matori beats Adesanya, it's I think it's because he tries for the takedown persistently, and even if he doesn't get them or doesn't get them early on, it it throws off Adesanya because if all Adesanya has to worry about is is your striking again, he's going to go matrix on you. He's going to figure out what you're doing wrong and kill you. But yeah, I'm I'm not picking it to happen. You know, this is a this is a bad matchup for Vittori. Like, uh, you know, he's he seems physically, uh, you know, stronger. He's probably even a better wrestler. Uh, you know, he's one of the you know best. Well, he's probably the best MMA wrestler we've ever seen from Italy because he moved to LA so early. Yeah, I mean, he's been at King's MMA for most of his UFC career. You know, even our Italian correspondent Tudor Leonte, it's like more Italian fighters should do that. Um, but no, I, I'm with you, and it, it's tough for me to pick something to happen that I've never seen happen before because not only has Vittori never been finished, he's never even really been very badly hurt, at least in his UFC losses. But yeah, I mean, Adesanya is is just going to chew him up. Uh, this is a bad matchup for him. Uh, I'm going to say he makes it to the to the third round, but all that five round fight experience isn't going to matter because yeah, Adesanya is going to start rolling downhill on him after about six or seven minutes. And we're probably going to get, you know, some kind of highlight real finish. So, yeah, Adesanya by third round knockout. That is it for the marathon Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC 263 Adesanya versus Vittori uh, 2. 14 fights up, 14 fights down. Uh, enjoy your week. Uh, certainly. You know, tune in for these fights and check us out either on the SureDog front page or just directly on the SureDog YouTube page as Keith and I will be doing the live recap. We will be taking your questions, comments, your takes on things via the, the live chat section, and we'll just be talking about all these 14 fights and and what they mean for the future. Between now and then, uh, again, enjoy the fights, and thank you for listening. For Keith Schillen, I'm Ben Duffy.